0: Southern skies are online medium. This episode of Plane Crazy Down Under is proudly sponsored by Aviation Advertiser, Australia's largest aviation online marketplace. Now featuring aviation employment classifieds. Make buying, selling and job search easy by doing it online. Visit aviationadvertiser.com.au today. And by the GA8 Airvan, proudly manufactured right here in Australia by Gibbs Aero. GipsAero.com and by JetRide Australia. Be a top gun for the day. Visit JetRide.com.au slash PCDU for the fastest ride in the country. Well, g'day folks, and welcome back to Plane Crazy Down Under, episode 79 of the program that looks at the world of aviation from an Australia-Pacific point of view. I'm Steve Visher, and joining me as always is Grant good G'day, mate. Hey, how you going, man? Oh, not too bad. You know, I feel so superior now. I'm in a position of great power in my day job. I finally got an instructor rating. Hey! Not exactly the instructor rating that I had envisaged getting when I started flying 20 years ago, but no, a train-driving instructor of sorts.
1: Yeah, well, well done,
0: man. You've got the power. Yeah, sort of. In the Overhead at least.
1: Just remember, with great power comes great responsibility, and I'm sure you'll shirk it very well. That's exactly
0: right. And joining us also tonight, wondering just what on earth she's got herself into this evening is Cathy Maxted. Hi, Cathy. Hi, guys. How are you? We're very well, thanks, and it's a pleasure to have you back on the program. Well, I'll tell you what, it's been a few weeks since our last show, so we've got a packed program coming up this time. Coming up a bit later, Anthony Crichton-Brown's going to join us. He's been out to Bankstown up there in Sydney and uh, spoken and had a chat with our friend uh, Joel Hasky up there, and also his friends at Combat Dragon. Grant's been out Eddie speaking to a, a local gyroplane uh, manufacturer up there. And uh, in addition to that, we introduce a new segment as uh, Peter Johnson from the UK joins the team with his segment from up here to down there. Now, Cathy, it's been a very busy uh, few weeks since we last had you on and, of course, uh, as promised, we got you out doing all sorts of work for us again and you've been out getting uh, another wonderful interview for us.
2: Yeah, Dennis and I flew to Canada in the Bonanza. Is, um, is that the blue but,
3: one? Which and colour is that? The
2: burgundy and grey one. <laughs> um, yeah, we went up to Canada to interview Georgia Maxwell, who's a female ag pilot based at Moree in northern New South Wales and, um,
0: yeah, she was great. And you've, you've told us before that you sort of come from a bit of a rural app, up- Bringing, but uh, you know, down down here in the big smoke, we don't see too many ag pilots down here. And uh, I've had all sorts of interesting uh, experiences with ag pilots uh, back in my time in the US, which we might talk about a bit later on. But um, tell us a bit about ag flying, and we've got some information here that uh, you've managed to, to find for us about uh, a bit of its history, just briefly.
2: Yeah, I've done a bit of research. Aerial agriculture is encompasses top dressing, spraying, sowing, seeding, and aerial mustering. And it started in Australia in about the 30s when the government government asked the Royal Australian Air Force to do fire patrols and some fire bombing. That led to rainmaking experiments. And then towards the end of World War II, they started spraying in the Pacific for mar- malarial mosquitoes. Um, yeah, and that's how it got started.
0: You've been talking to, uh, in fact, to their industry association, Cathy, and um, you found out, uh, you know, for people that are interested in, in ag flying, it, it's probably something that people could look at, particularly if they've uh, got their eyes on uh, perhaps an airline job some point in the future and, and they're looking at building hours. I mean, this would seem to me, particularly now where the rains have come back, that it would be something that's, that's probably quite viable.
2: Actually, Steve, it's quite the opposite. Well, there you go. <laughs> hate to chuck a rock in your puddle there. Um, ag flying is actually like a completely separate stream and it's not that often that the ag pilots will go across to the airlines. It has happened, um, of course, but mostly... Ag pilots come from an agricultural background, and they tend to go into the industry and stay there, make a career out of it. A lot of them also will have a farm on the side, or you know, other little things going on. Often they'll stay in ag, aerial ag, because they live, you know, too far from Sydney. As Georgia said, she tells you in the interview, it's just not feasible for her to go airline flying when she's married to a cotton farmer and living out in the middle of nowhere. So it suits her fairly well. Very yeah,
1: demanding, isn't it? It's it's the whole you've got to be good, you've got to be able to live the bush life, you've got to work very strange hours and long hours and be on the ball flying low at speed and turning and heavy and everything it's all adds together
2: yeah and it's completely reliant on agriculture and the weather basically whereas airline flying um the employment cycle goes you know dependent on world conditions pretty much the economy but um Aerial agriculture is guided by what's happening in agriculture. So during the last 10 years of drought, there's been no flying. And Tony Jones has um, got a business up in central New South Wales and he's been training ag pilots for years and years. And he said during the last eight years of the drought, he only trained three people in nine years, but this year he's trained three or four. So, yeah, things have certainly turned around again and now there's a shortage of good qualified ag pilots in Australia. So feast um, or famine. Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. Yeah. And there's quite a bit of uh, cross-cultural happenings between us and Canada and the US and particularly in Brazil. Phil Hurst from the... Aerial Agricultural Association of Australia was telling me that Brazil has gone gangbusters in the last 10 years because of their good soil and plenty of water mm-hmm. and they've been growing a lot of cotton, beans and um, rice and so there's a lot going on there. So some, a lot of the, or some not a lot, some of the pilots from Australia will travel you know, to Brazil or around the world. Africa too, they go all over the yeah. place and the corresponding side of that is that we will often have um, foreigners come here just for the season, just to fill the void.
1: It's very interesting about the, the seasonal nature and you can be dusting for insects, then dusting for prevention of them and then the, the next thing you know you're moving on to fighting fires um, and all just following the seasonal nature of what's, what's happening around you.
2: Tony Jones, the instructor, was Saying um, he's been getting a few guys coming into the industry with about kind of a bare commercial license and just a couple of hundred hours, and he said really you'd be it's much more preferable to have about five hundred hours minimum, so that so you're completely comfortable with the airplane. Like the airplane should be an extension, natural extension of your body, and when you're doing your ag rating, you need to be focused on the other stuff that you've got to learn, and the flying should just be second nature, you know. So um, yeah, five hundred hours is about what he recommends before you start.
1: Don't the guys wind up doing a bit of time as a as a mixer loader looking after mm. loading the aircraft and yeah, uh, you, know, you, you can spend a whole season doing all sorts of work and hardly get behind the stick.
2: Yeah, you usually do a couple of years with the company first and then go off and you'll do general flying and then go and do, maybe do the ag rating after that. But it's um, hot and hard work.
4: <laughs> Every <laughs> ag
2: pilot I've ever seen, they'll I was up in Finland a few weeks ago, just before we went to Gunnedah, actually. And I was chatting to one of the guys there. He was just uh, leaning back on the couch with his helmet in his lap and he just looked completely stonked. It was about four o'clock, five o'clock in the afternoon. And I was chatting to him and he just said, it's just such hot, hard work, you know, especially when the weather's not good and often they'll have um, like a split shift, you know, where they get up at dawn and go and work while it's smooth and then knock off for the middle of the day and then come back in the evening when it's smooth again, yeah. Um, by the time the 60s rolled around, they were spreading superphosphate and dusting for moths and um, they used to get around in tiger moths and they'd modify the tiger moth by replacing the front cockpit with a hopper. And so the planes were very slow and highly loaded and there was a very high accident rate. And um, a couple of years ago, I interviewed a guy called Viv Barnes who'd been in the industry since… The 60s and possibly even earlier, and uh, he was recalling his early years in the tiger moths, and he said it was bloody cold flying in the open cockpit. And um, the tiger moths could be bought from the RAF for about 30 to 50 pounds, and after conversion, you could make that much back again in one day's work. And he said, "Oh, (laughs) yeah." He said, "Oh, I had a couple of prangs in the tigers. They were all made of canvas and timber and bits of string. And if the engine stopped and you fell in a heap, they folded very gently, like a pack of cards, you know."
4: (laughs)
1: well, it sounds like the trouble so, zones in an aircraft, in a modern car. You yeah. know, <laughs> the car yeah. feels you with
0: confidence, doesn't it?
2: <laughs> he just was, he just made it sound like it was no big deal. You know, <laughs> yeah,
0: no big. No yeah. if it was a big deal, you weren't still around
1: to talk about it.
2: Yeah, probably.
0: <laughs> so, uh, Kathy, moving on to the 1960s, uh, I guess we moved away from the tiger moss. What happened then?
2: Well, because of the high accident rate, then the government and the industry got together and in one of those rare occurrences where it has a good outcome, <laughs> Uh, they formed the Aerial Agricultural Association of Australia, the four A's, and that's a model industry. Um, it was mainly to address the high accident rate and they, um, it, then they introduced at that time the agricultural rating. So prior to that, you only needed a commercial licence and you could, anyone with a commercial license could go off ag flying. But in the 60s, they brought in the requirement for an agricultural rating. Then in the 80s, all the environmental issues came into play. So then the ag pilots had to also do a chemical distributor's license. And now they undertake professional pilot program as well. So there's an enormous amount of professional training that they go through to keep it all together. Um, in the, this, the first part of George's interview, where there's the music and the sound of the airplane, we were actually in... Sitting in her lounge room, my, me and my husband and her and her husband, and nice. she was showing us footage of her first flight in the eight hundred two, and it was very exciting.
1: Oh, <laughs> bet that's a monster!
2: Yeah, <laughs> and she had an enormous grin on her face when she <laughs> out <of> <laughs> So there you are on
3: the eight hundred two. So how many hours in the
5: five hundred two do you have by that stage?
3: Thirteen hundred. So what's happening here, Georgia? I'm doing a start they um, put me in the old yellow banger and then they
6: realized
3: they could bring it back so then they put me in the good one. Who's that talking to? That's my mate Harley. He's not going to
2: You look pretty happy. <laughs> That's a big grin you got there. Hi, Georgia. Welcome to Playing Crazy Down Under. Thanks for talking to us today. No worries. I'm sitting here in Georgia's lounge room in the middle of a 3,000-acre cotton farm. She's looking glamorous in her work jeans, a pink work shirt with Pays Air Service, Pays Proprietary Limited written across the front. And you've got two of those pink shirts, Georgia, and you're the only girl in Australia that we know of with pink work shirts. (laughs) <laughs> the only ag pilot with blonde hair and a blonde ponytail and pink
3: work shirt.
2: So Georgia, can you tell me how old you are and how long you've been flying and how you got into ag flying?
3: Um, 31. I've been flying aviation for 14 years and in the ag industry for 10.
2: And um, how did you get into it? What sparked your interest?
3: I'm um, originally from a cotton farm, so I grew up with the noise of agplanes taking off from just behind our family home. It always intrigued me. I was pretty keen on flying, but didn't get the opportunity to do it until I left school. What did your mother want you to be?
2: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> when you came home from boarding school, and it was time to tick the boxes on the, um, on the uni placements, what did your mother think you
3: might... Oh well, I told Mum I was interested in aviation, and she thought, "Oh, brilliant! Airline pilot, <laughs> cheap airfares, right up her alley. I love first class." She's a first class traveller. Yes. And you're down among the weeds. And I'm among the weeds, <laughs> and killing moths. <laughs> that wasn't exactly the path she had paved for me, but um, she loves me anyway. Her beautiful little blonde girl. <laughs> she still tries to um, persuade me into the airlines, but yeah. it's a little bit hard when I'm married to a cotton farmer. And yeah. I love what I do, so... And you love the cotton farmer. Love the cotton farmer. <laughs> so you finished your uni degree and came home. And came home, yeah, went... Um, So you came home with
2: almost a commercial licence, with your commercial subjects, didn't
3: you? Yeah, I came home with all the theory side of things. I need a little bit more flying behind me before I could do my commercial. And uh, I was lucky enough to get a job in the industry, in the ag industry, to see if it was something I would be interested in. I'd been for a little fly with a fellow ag pilot, which was from home, and I knew that's what I wanted to do, but... To be sure, to be sure, <laughs> I thought I'd try it out and um, ended up marking for pays. What's marking? Putting lights out in the middle of the night around the edges of paddocks so planes can find them and spray them in the dark. So when, why do they spray at night on the cotton? It's better conditions because during summer uh, the temperatures get so high during the day it's uh, hard to spray the crop and get a good kill on insects because they're mostly active early morning and in the middle of the night in the cooler temperatures. Yeah. So it's the best time to actually be the most productive with the chemicals. and. So did you have to mark, like, wave the flags? I only had to do that twice. At night? No, no, that was uh, during the day. Yeah. Just for some guys starting out, still getting to use the GPS and weren't quite comfortable with it yet, so... Mm went and lined them up on the run during the day, but uh, no, at night, just... would tell the blokes where I was on a particular paddock, put the lights out for them, and if they ever got lost, I'd see those little flashing strobes and guide them in, and <laughs> off they'd go.
2: So you did that for two seasons? Yes. And then you worked as a ferry pilot, ferrying the guys around?
3: Yeah, I did a little bit of that, and got into some photography, aerial photography stuff. Oh, did you taking company. photos or flying? No, no, I was flying the plane and yeah. like crop imagery. Oh, okay. And that sort of stuff, so you could see where in the crop uh, actually needs some more fertiliser or yeah. irrigation or what have you. So, I did some mixing as well, some chemical mixing, and then. And you've got to train for that, don't you? Oh, you do got... some um, licenses and what have you. Yeah. yeah. Chemical handlers' yeah. course. Do that, and your forklift ticket, and your truck driver's license, and. All that fun stuff, and you, you can weld because when I rang yesterday, you said I'm I'm welding. D- yes, I dabble in the old welding program.
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, so then you got your ag rating, and pays have given you pays gave you a job. Yes, and how did that go?
3: It was good. I did my ag rating with pays, and it was right in the middle of a drought, so. There wasn't a guaranteed seat, but um, they'd said, come back and do some mixing and a bit more marking and we'll see if we can't get you going. And slowly but surely, with a few ups and downs, (laughs) I got there. (laughs) So what does your job involve as an ag pilot based in Moreg? A general day would be to start before daylight, pull the planes out before daylight, uh, pull them up on the pad, get all your load sizes sorted for the day how much you're going to take where you're going so you get your maps you speak to your mixers and loading staff to uh, make sure they're going to put the right chemicals in for the right job so constantly communicating with them uh, working with other pilots in case you're in close proximity you need to know where they are at all times
2: Mm.
3: because sometimes you have two planes working on the same paddock yeah you can definitely have
2: how do you arrange that uh, <laughs> how does that go? <laughs> like a racetrack? track. Uh, it is well, a race track.
3: Some of the paddocks are huge. Aren't they? Yeah, I'll, like you can have paddocks anywhere from twenty hectares up to, oh, like broad acre stuff. Big large farms can have like thousand hectare blocks. Yeah, but um, your average block during the cotton season would probably be 100 hectares
2: and so when you come down to do a run how long would you be going before you pull up at the other end? Would it be a kilometre or?
3: Oh yeah like we assess a paddock on the wind direction because you always want to be spraying into wind so that you're not getting any chemical back on the aircraft oh. um, and to get the best coverage to use the wind to your advantage yeah. and you look at um, the longest runs in the crop too to be more productive for your hourly return and getting on to the next job you want to spend minimum amount of time on each job so that you can get through more work so your paddocks can be say a k by two k's or three k's or four k's just It just really depends on the paddocks and they're not always square and there's not always a good edge.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So you can come down
3: to start your run and you can still be down
2: how how high off the ground?
3: Um, The smaller planes are probably three to four foot above the top of the crop.
2: So you're ten feet off the ground? Yep. So you can be
3: ten feet off the ground for three or four k's? Yep. With your finger on the button? How do you release um, the spray? There's a spray handle. Yeah. So forward for on, like it's a, a valve that you open and spray handle on and pull it back to shut it off. So you push it on and then you've got both hands on the stick or the wheel? No, one hand on the stick. And where's the other one? On the throttle. Lipstick. Ah. <laughs> Putting the lipstick on, brushing the hair, <laughs> holding the video camera. Yeah, video camera. Photos with the iPhone <laughs> hi, mum. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, usually you've got that on the spray handle or the dump lever. If you're, say, the weather's a little bit bumpy or yeah. you're in an area where you're not too comfortable with, you sometimes on the dump handle so you can let the whole lot go. So if you get in danger or in yeah,
2: stalling, yeah. you dump it. And-
3: like that's very, very rare that happens. But, yeah, you go your hand will go from the spray handle maybe to the power lever if it needs adjusting or... Yeah. Just yeah, the your other hand's quite busy just making sure everything's in the <laughs> right spot at the right time and Yeah. Yeah. Then you back on the spray handle as you're coming to the end of the crop and yeah. shut off and yeah, pull it off. Around you go. Yeah. But yeah, to um if you're working in the same paddock with another plane, you just pick a common point. Say the edge of a paddock's always good. And you just run your nose down the end of that. And aiming point. Yep. Yeah. And you run your nose right down the, the middle of the plane, right down the end, edge of that crop. And you just say to the other pilot, my AB line, my starting point, yeah. is on the eastern side of the field, mm. and I've got 42 runs at 18 metres. Okay. And they set that all up in their GPS. They mark the same point, and they say, you do odd runs and I'll do evens. Yeah, oh, so you, you go side by side. You can do, yeah. Oh,
2: my God. How does your husband feel about you, um, about your occupation?
3: Oh, he's very supportive. <laughs> as long as he can get a good deal when he needs his crop sprayed. <laughs> he's very supportive because he knows how much I love it. I'm sure he doesn't feel all that happy with his wife out there doing this job so close to the ground at high speeds. Yeah. But... He's not going to tell me no.
2: No. And he's been there since the beginning, so if he's known you since you are 18...
3: Yeah, he's, he's been right five, through it all. Yeah. He's um, been very supportive with that, which is lucky because it hasn't always been smooth sailing and sometimes you've got to sugarcoat the truth so that they can handle it a little bit better. And
2: So can you tell me the story that you relayed earlier about when you rang him and said, I've been doing a bit of fencing?
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was... Um, Doing some spreading on my birthday, happy birthday to me! And which <laughs> uh, is Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve, and start the wind started to pick up quite a bit, and there was it was getting gusty. Anyway, I was in a light aircraft at the time, and the wind actually picked the aircraft up as I was taking off, and threw me into the fence, which I was taking off next to. Yeah. Next none, to none too pleased about. <laughs> <laughs> so um, after. A few colourful words and ringing the boss and saying I've done some damage to his plane. I had to ring the husband and say, oh, hey, how are you going? Yeah, good. What are you up to? Oh, just doing some fencing. All right. I said, not by choice. <laughs> so, um, yeah, he took that pretty well. Yeah. He was there within a couple of hours. But right, you
2: calmed down by the time yes. you affected.
3: yeah. Sometimes you just got to give it a little bit of time from when the thing happens to when you ring people that are going to worry about you.
2: Ag flying, by nature of what the, the nature of the beast, it's a high-risk environment, um, and I'm sure there's a lot of lessons to be learned. So what are some of the lessons that you've learnt perhaps the hard way or just lessons that are never
3: pleasant to learn? Every day there's a new lesson to be learnt. Yeah, um, because no, day, no two days are the same. No, that's exactly right. No, and you could spray the same paddock every single day, and every day it'll be different. Because of the wind conditions? Yeah, wind conditions, time of day you do it, uh, the particular product you're putting on, who your mixer is at the time that you're not used to or...
2: So that changes the way you think or feel?
3: Oh, yeah, you always got to... You can't just go in blasé thinking, oh, it's just the same as yesterday, because it never is going to be. Some days there's paddocks with power lines through the middle of them, and depending on what plane you're in, you can fit under it some days, and some days you can't because of the other, <laughs> other plane you're in, or because of the wind conditions, if it's a little bit bumpy, you wouldn't want to risk getting thrown back up into the wire, or there's trees in it. So you had an episode with a wire? Oh, yeah, just one of those things. You're constantly thinking, right, oh, wire, wire, wire. There's a wire in this block. There's the pole. That's one of the biggest dangers for egg pilots, isn't it, because the wires are almost impossible to yeah, see. Yeah, that's it. So you, you pretty much track them via the poles, and you're constantly side to side watching the pole. So you cruising in this paddock. Well, I was cruising in this paddock with trees in it. It was a single wire. I knew the wire was there, and I was getting to the end of the load, there wasn't much left, and I'm thinking, "Oh, I'm going to have to. I'm not going to make this run completely. I'm going to have to pull out." And I've pulled up over the trees, and I'm cruising along ab- at above tree height, and with the wire on the other side of the tree. And I was thinking about the fact I was about to run out, and pulled forward. Run out of. Run out spray. of spray. Yeah, run out of spray. Yeah. I have pulled forward. At the other side of the tree, thinking about that and not thinking about the wire, when I should have stayed above the tree. And as I've pulled forward, I'd already committed to going forward. And I saw the wires. I've gone down, and I just kept going down because I didn't have enough time to come back up. Yeah. And just it was lucky I could fit under it. And I've, <laughs> I've gone under it, and I've ducked, and I've right. There was no bang. That's good. <laughs> Snow no bang, everything's feeling okay, right, still got my head on, check. <laughs> yeah, <we can. laughs> or we just, go just go back to the strip now and make sure that I've still got a tail on this thing. Have a glass of water. <laughs> oh, for just a split second was thinking about something else rather than the wire and it happens that quickly and it yeah. happens to absolutely everyone and yeah. just some people are unlucky enough to hit it and some people are lucky enough to get away with it at the time and it just so happened, I was lucky enough to get away with it. Yeah. But I learnt a big lesson that day.
2: Yeah. How many hours did you have at that time? Or how long had you been? Were, oh, that, you, were you a newbie at that time?
3: No, actually, I'd, I would have had about 1,300 hours at that oh, stage. Okay. So yeah, you don't have to be new at it for things to... Distract you.
2: What are the other occupational hazards? Dead trees. Somebody told me. A hard oh, thing. you can't
3: see them, and, and especially at the wrong time of day, they just blend in until it's too late. Yeah, flying into the sun in early morning and late in the evening. Yeah, it's near impossible to see any other hazards if you're flying directly into the sun. So usually, uh, any of those blocks, if you've got the option, you leave till a little bit later in the day, and you do say the north south running blocks. Mm early in the morning so that you're not flying into the sun.
2: It's a lot of planning
3: goes on there. Oh constantly planning and it's usually good to have a look at the blocks the night before like the maps that you've got the night before so you, you go to work already with a bit of a plan in your head and just it takes a lot of the pressure off and lowers your workload if you're already mentally prepared before you even get to the block mm. and that's what's it's good having good maps and Knowing the area, if you're going into new areas, it gets a little bit daunting because you're just not sure what could pop up around the corner.
2: So GPS and Google Earth have um, improved a lot of the Egg Pilot.
3: A hell of a lot. It's brilliant. (laughs) Since the old days of the mud map. And the the guys with the flags. No, you actually know where you're going. Yeah. You, um, You know that your paddock sizes are going to be right and you know... Usually know where the wires are going to be. It's a lot more professional, and it cuts down on a lot of the risk for the pilots these days. I don't know how they used to do it.
2: The um, the culture of the industry has changed a lot, hasn't it, since the early days when it was um, the egg pilots were known to be fairly relaxed about the rules and regulations, and that reputation is um, long gone now, isn't it?
3: Yeah, I think you have to be a lot more professional these days because it's so competitive. Uh, just in the agricultural industry, not just our industry, um, not only have you got other aerial operators you've got to compete with, you've also got the ground rigs, and they're probably our biggest competitors. Yeah. Like, if it doesn't rain, then you you can't compete with the price of running a tractor as opposed to a, an aircraft.
2: Mm. So that's a tractor with a boom spray yes. that'll go and spray the crop? Yeah rather than using an aeroplane. That's it. just spray it. And they can do it for half the price or
3: less? Oh, yeah. Uh, depending on what blocks it, uh, it is, yeah, they can do it a lot cheaper than what we can. So, like, an aviation fuel a lot dearer than, um, say, diesel to run your tractors, so that all comes into it. <laughs>
2: and insurance has gone through the roof, hasn't it? Yeah, There's insurance. very low tolerance for... Um,
3: yeah, they don't... Um, like, it, if if you have a reputation of pranging aircraft or being hard on the gear or just being blase about who you are and what you're doing then yeah you're hard to insure and um, usually they have three strikes and you're out sort of policy but they're even winding that back and so some of the ag pilots are uninsurable
2: yeah because if a, a bad track record can make you uninsurable yeah um georgia so where do you operate what's um, what's your area that you cover how far do you go away when you go away to work? Um, you were saying you've been up to the locusts, down to the locusts and off fighting fires. And, so egg pilots don't just spray cotton crops. They're useful for other things. Oh, yes.
3: <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'm usually based just in Moree. Yeah. And um, our company does aerial spraying from Moree right down to Scone. Which is how far?
2: Two hours flight in Cessna? Oh, uh, yeah. We'll do that. Well, you own a
3: 172, don't you? A 172. So was yeah, your, Was that your
2: Christmas gift from your husband yeah, or what?
3: that's so I could see him a bit more.
2: <laughs> that's right. Can you just explain about how you've been married for three years but only been living together for three months?
3: <laughs> well, we just weren't sure. We were ready for the marriage commitment but not the living together <laughs> commitment. You can't rush into that.
2: So you bought a 172 to save the hour and a half drive from Morrie yeah. to
3: yeah, because um, he's a cotton farm manager in 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 sorry, Canada, in and I was based at Moree. So we had the weekend romance and have done for quite a while. And he said, oh, well, how am I going to get to see you more? I said, well, driving just has whiskers on it because <laughs> it's over two hours to drive each way. He said, oh, well, we'll have to look at getting you a plane. And, with- and you said... sure sure okay you don't have to tell me twice to find one and within about a week i'd found a 172 that was just meant to be part of the family
2: it's good and it's nice too it's red yeah go fast (laughs) so what's the best part of the job what is it you
3: love about what you do you're never going to sit in an office that was for sure never sit in an office no i love the fact that each day is different um That my office is that fast.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Because now you are the only female pilot in Australia qualified to fly the the
3: 802. That's right. First one, apparently, which is very exciting. Yeah. Which is the biggest aerial sprayer in Australia and single engine fire bomber in Australia.
2: Have you done much fire bombing?
3: Um, I've done some training days, getting good at practicing dropping the load. Yeah. So I um, need a little bit more work on that because it's a whole new ball game compared to spraying yeah. um, and usually different conditions too. When you go into a fire, you've got smoky, rough, mm. hot. Hot and bumpy. So um, I don't know how that's going to go. But we'll, we'll give it a crack. <laughs>
2: try out your pink shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Quite it just? Georgia, for anybody wanting to get into the ag industry as a pilot, um, have you got any advice or words of warning or wisdom?
3: I'd say sp- try and find as many people in the industry as you can to talk to because everyone's going to have a little bit of different advice. Mm. And each area in Australia is different. So, like, depending on where you want to go spraying. It's interesting to get a different aspect on the different industries that we cover. So, you know, rice, cotton, super, if you just want to stick to spreading. or um, Speak to young pilots and old pilots because you can learn a lot from the old pilots, but uh, the new ones still have some something to give to because mm. they'll remember what it's like just stepping in the door and getting in your first ag plane and yeah. how it feels and how they got through it, what little tricks they can remember to get them through it to mm-hmm. um, make you feel more confident in yourself because that's probably a big thing, not trusting your ability and doubting yourself, which you can't do in our industry. So you've got to have faith in your ability. Yeah, definitely. stick to it. Yeah. And you've had to prove yourself against the boys, haven't you? Yeah, you do, but you get that. You get that in any, any industry, though. I think. Yeah, but
2: it seems in aviation, there's women in almost in every aspect of aviation. But um, ag flying, you're the you've been doing it for ten years, and there's one or two other women we know of who are just coming into the industry. Um, you are talking about the 802, how it's heavy and hard to chuck around, and so that would probably be the main limitation for girls?
3: I think it is. Like, it's very physically demanding, the bigger aircraft. The small ones, uh, they're nice to fly and nice and light and what have you. But um, just because recently I got into the 802, I noticed a big difference. I always put it down to you've got the sports car with the, the smaller planes with, the say, the 502, Air Tractor 502, that I usually fly, and then you get into the big Mac truck. <laughs> and it's like trying to manoeuvre into the Woolies car park.
2: <laughs> and they only use the 802s on the big, broad acre crops, like up here. You wouldn't find them, like in Finlay, they don't use them on the rice and the little paddocks. No, it's so just, it's... It's the big kahuna.
3: Definitely. They call it the acre eater. The acre eater. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's what it's there for. It's there to, it's quick, it... Hauls a big load, so it's perfect for the bigger jobs, definitely. Yeah.
2: All right, well, thanks for talking to us and uh, thank you for having us.
3: My pleasure.
1: Do you have the need, the need for speed? Jet Ride Australia is the country's premier fighter experience and the perfect gift for every budding top gun. From mild to wild, JetRide tailors each flight individually to give you the mind-blowing ride of your life. To make the dream a reality, check out jetride.com.au slash PCDU, or Aussies can call one 554 876 JetRide. Forget the rest. Fly with the best.
5: Whether you're buying or selling a light single-engine aircraft or a corporate jet, do it faster and easier with aviationadvertiser.com.au. aviationadvertiser.com.au is Australia's largest aviation marketplace. As the country's largest source of aircraft classifieds, you'll find hundreds of new and used aircraft of all types, online 24 hours a day. With ads from just $39 and the convenience of buying and selling online, it's easy and affordable. Connect with Australia's largest buy-and-sell aviation community at aviation.
1: I'm James Williams
6: from Podcasters Emporium and you're listening to Plain Crazy Down Under, now proudly part of the Lifestyle Pod Network.
0: And welcome back, folks. Well, Cathy, I tell you, uh, that sounds like a fascinating uh, life that george has got out there, way out in the country, uh, doing all that ag flying. I don't know about the power lines, though.
2: Yeah, well, she's got a great story there about the um, the power lines. I've just been speaking to her tonight on the phone, and she's just come back from a safety course run by the Aerial Agricultural Association of Australia, who run a pretty tight ship. And uh, she said it was basically um, about how to deal with power lines, turning safely, bringing it back to the key points of how to start alive, turn smart, be wire-aware and um, not overloading, which are the three biggest, um, most common dangers, I think, for the ag pilots.
0: Now, I've talked about this before in previous shows, but uh, of course, you know, uh, doing my training over in rural Arkansas in the United States, I've had uh, <laughs> more than the odd run-in with the odd ag pilot here and there, but uh, <laughs> that was a long time ago before the safety culture came in perhaps.
3: Yeah,
0: oh, yeah. <laughs>
1: the, four, the 4As are really good over here in terms of um, they've done a lot of work to help improve the safety of the the egg crews and everything from uh, handling the toxic chemicals right the way up through to the flying and introduction of helmets and everything. It's all been, they've all been able to show that each thing they've done has helped improve safety. It's been great.
2: Yeah, they're gearing up for a really big season, um, because of all this rain Georgia was mm-hmm. saying that Moree has been cut in half and is completely yep. flooded but they've got enough rain to guarantee a full allocation for the Guadara region for about the next four to five years for growing cotton and when they're spraying the co- when they're uh, working on the cotton it starts from when they sow it until it's harvested so it's a, about a five six month, um about a five month process and they you know once they've They're always spraying it and um, spraying bugs and then they spray it to defoliate it so it's ready for harvest. And um, uh, so she said she'll be going flat out.
1: The breaking of the drought has been wonderful for the agricultural world in terms of um, growing crops and, uh, uh, you know, the ag pilots and so on who are helping to keep them intact when they're not all being flooded out. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, their benefit is our loss. I haven't done anywhere near as much ballooning as normal.
2: Yeah, well, she's looking at doing a night rating maybe, but she said because they've got the 802 she'll do most of the work, she'll be in the 802 this season and that can do most of the work in less time. So they haven't had to do much night work, but she said probably this season if it gets to that point, she'll go off and do a night rating.
0: Well, I guess too that uh, doing that sort of flight would would involve a lot of uh, high-performance manoeuvres, which is a great way for me to segue into uh, welcoming back to the show Anthony Crichton-Brown, our resident expert on all things aerobatic flight. Hi, Anthony. Good. Good evening. Good evening. Did, you, did you like the way <laughs> I got wrap-up? Did you like <laughs> all that, things, mate? <laughs> All things expert. Eh? I, I've just been sitting there uh, waiting for a perfect spot for that segue. I just thought I'd try it there. Now, tell me, Anthony, uh, you've done a lot of uh, flying through your career of uh, varying uh, different descriptions, but uh, have you ever tried your hand at ag flying?
7: No. I, it was always one of those options when I was learning to fly, well, probably more so when I got my commercial license and was looking for a, a stream into the career. And uh, ag flying was definitely something I considered briefly, but the commitment to the training was. More more than I wanted to outlay at that time. Um, I think it's the ag rating. I don't quote me. I think it's fifty hours or something on those lines. And uh, it's I guess when you invest that amount of money in that training, you want to follow through. You don't want to do be an ag pilot for you know twelve months and then go off and find a charter job. So I, I thought it wasn't for me, but. Uh, I had an interesting experience. I flew with a with a captain on a seven six seven a while back and I'd never flown with him before and were just yakking away on their way somewhere. And I said to him, Oh, where'd you do before before you started here? And he said, oh, I was flying crop dusting. And I said, Oh yeah, and then what? Did I join the airlines? And it turned <laughs> out he had he had six thousand hours crop dusting. Wow. wow. And went and did a multi engine commanders rating just so he could uh, ferry some of the, ag, aer- some of the ag, aer- ag aeroplanes around I believe and then to an application into a few of the airlines and got in and you know he said he was completely shocked himself when he got in but yeah there he was <laughs> so I was, I was wrong all along I could have been an ag pilot.
0: Well, there you go mate there you go. <laughs> it's interesting I mean there, there would be a lot of uh, pretty high performance flight I guess doing that sort of flying I mean uh, you move uh, around with a lot of the, uh, you know, the aerobatic pilots so I mean are ag pilots what sort of representation would there be amongst that community?
7: I don't know of anyone in the aerobatic club who's got a background and ag flying. I, the, maybe there are, but none that I know of. If they have, they're, they're not
1: well known. There's a few in the warbird world. Um, Steve Dees sure comes that- to mind immediately. Yeah, I don't know. Is your, is your to answer your question?
0: I guess that, that is kind of representative of, of my impressions, if you like, of the ag flying world. They seem to be a, a community in and of themselves. I, I, I've never really had that much exposure to it, like, except for when I was overseas, as I say. And uh, when I was over uh, learning in, in Arkansas, I mean, those guys literally kept to themselves. I mean, half of them, uh, you know, <laughs> you get an ag cat flying, you wouldn't even have a radio And I can remember <laughs> a time coming in short final on uh, on some ILS training uh, in a rather rural airport in Arkansas where this guy just came out of nowhere, uh, out of a corner field and uh, popped right in front of me as I was short final. And uh, lucky my instructor was there to uh, provide some calming words of advice before I jumped <laughs> out of the plane and throttled him.
7: I think one uh, thing about ag flying, which I've, I admire is the risks they take or well, the risk profile that you, you would think they would be taking flying so low to the ground um, and then doing wing overs at each end of the paddock and, and sometimes doing it at nighttime. I'm staggered there's not more accidents. And I think that's a credit to their safety culture, whether it's been like that forever I don't know, but certainly in this day and age, I believe they put a lot of effort into their safety culture and into understanding what causes accidents and preventing them.
0: Yeah, they have. Yeah, it's a fascinating field. In fact, uh, we ought to spend some more time. In fact, Kathy, I think we should send you off uh, more often to look for ag pilots.
2: Sure, sure. That's easy. You know, we,
0: we love finding work for you to do. <laughs>
3: That's
0: right <laughs> Well Anthony you've joined us uh, because uh, speaking of high performance flight uh, you were recently at an open day up there at our friends at Red Baron up there at Bankstown and uh, looks like uh, along with uh, your friends at Combat Dragon uh, a lot of fun was being had that day
7: Yeah I was uh, I had a rare weekend off so I shuffled out to the airport and went and stuck my head in the new facility they've got a brand new uh, hangar building, flying school. It's fantastic, actually. Uh, looks like something you'd see in the USA, the type of FBO setup you'd see overseas. And whilst I was there, the Combat Dragon uh, guys who operate the A37 and do adventure flights in it have been operating from Red Baron and they had a, a flight on that day. So I tagged along and I recorded a bit of the briefing, recorded a bit of the uh, the engine startup and taxi out and then um, had a, had a uh, talk to Joel who owns Red Baron and talked to Jeff who's the manager director of combat dragon
0: always interesting to uh have a little bit of a listen to some of these safety briefings and uh, i know that our friends at uh, jet do that too so let's just have a uh, quick listen to uh, some of the briefing here main
5: reason for not touching anything is is not because we don't trust you it's just because everything has a little setting where it needs to go um if uh, that's the next one just reiterating don't touch anything (laughs) if you do accidentally touch something you know, you get getting in and, and your knee bumps a couple of switches, just say, Oh, Gaz, I bumped that switch. And he may panic and the world will end. However, he may also just flip that switch back and everything will be just fine. The ejection handles, the ejection seats are disabled. So you won't be punching out <laughs> for any particular reason, I can assure you. Um, but they are there and they do look like they work. But, you know, if you pull them, I've just got to get an engineer to put it back in. So, uh, so let's not play with anything black and yellow or red and yellow today, um, and that should be just fine. The harnesses, getting into the airplane, uh, I'll assist you down at the aircraft, and uh, you've got a five point harness, basically shoulder to shoulder, lap sash, and one that comes up from in between your legs. So it, it all plugs into the one buckle. I'll show you how to actuate the buckle, how to release it and how to connect it. Um, it is in people's sort of personal space, Um, but I'll sort of get you to do it and that sort of thing so uh, okay you've got to feel firmly into the seat but you don't have to sit there going oh my god I can't breathe so you know, we'll adjust it to suit but as long as it's nice and firm so that you don't come out of that seat now um, unless the pilot says it's time to get out of here then I'll show you how to release it but you don't need to undo anything until the end of the flight so there you have it Rule number one, have a good time. Yeah, absolutely. No
0: worries. Well, let's get you suited up, mate. And um, you too, yeah? Yeah, there we go, mate. And uh, sounds like, uh, you know, they're, they're um, not only talking about safety, but uh, as, as the guys at JetRide do, they're really preaching, uh, you know, getting up there and having fun. I mean, that's the name of the game with this sort of adventure flying, isn't
7: it? Yeah, and um, it was interesting, uh, Gary, who was the pilot on that day, um, he's an ex-military guy. It was actually a roulette many years ago. He's now an airline pilot. He was telling a story in the briefing about a, an SAS soldier who came to him on his fiftieth, 60th birthday and was given for his 60th birthday a, um, a ride in the, in the Dragonfly. And as it turned out, he told the guys that he was. It was very special for him to go on the Dragonfly because in the Vietnam War, he was taking. He was out in the field with his SAS, other SAS soldiers, and they were taking heavy fire from the from the enemy. And they were calling in helicopters to pick them up. And there was they wouldn't land because the amount of fire they were taking was just going to wipe out the helicopters. And an American A thirty seven happened along and uh, heard about their plight through. I don't know how, but he, he knew about their plight and he rolled in and flew over over them and then did multiple. Passes firing ordnance into the baddies keeping their heads down allowing the helicopters to come and pick them up so he always and so he said you know the a37 saved my life in vietnam 40 years ago and he really wanted to go for a ride in one
0: it's a long time to wait for a ride yeah exactly yeah. <laughs> but, got it. Uh, well i'll tell you what uh, the last time we had you on anthony we were talking about how cool the engines sound uh, when they're spooling up in the a37 and uh, you got out there with your recorder and uh, have a have a listen to this guys That almost sounds as uh, I tell you what that might be right up there with the sound of a Rolls Royce Merlin uh, cruising past with the you know with very high settings on the manifold pressure.
7: I gotta say when they when they started the engines, the crowd that gathered was just about everyone within you know a 500 meter radius came out when they saw the dragonfly being pushed out, and they all gathered around at the at the minimum distance they're allowed to just to watch this thing start up and taxi out. And when Jeff finished because he was he's the ground crew when he finished disconnected the ground power and was pushing the uh, cart back in, I said to him, oh. It's, You know, it's nice to get a good crowd. He said, mate, this is a small crowd you know every time they start the aeroplane up people come from all crevices of Bankstown and come and watch it and when it takes off because it really is very impressive when it takes off
1: yeah because it's got to do that high angle of attack departure what he
7: does yeah. and what he did the day I was there was um, he took off the full length and I was in the upwind end of the runway and lowers the nose pulls the throttles back to okay I guess around 40% probably a bit more than that um, pulled the gear up and had to pull the power off so it doesn't overspeed the gear when the gear is fully retracted then he just opened, opened the taps and things sounded like a hornet going
1: past oh wow yeah, because I've seen them going out before. It's not so much angle of attack. It's just that high pitch up. To, and they, the guy, some of the guys, like the Tamora guys, will climb out at a high angle uh, so that they can retract the gear rather than throttling back. They just keep the throttle up, but they go up. They, they pitch it right up
7: yeah that well he did talk about doing that i asked him if what he was going to do but the, the problem with bankstown is um the top of the cta is 1500 feet which is also the lower limit of sydney cta so if you go above 1500 feet you're going into sydney's class c airspace yeah. so he, he was obliged to depart at a thousand whether he locked it or not so he just <laughs> did a low sort of low pass
1: on the way out he'd have only just retracted gear and figured out where he was at by the time he busted 1500 otherwise
7: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, certainly. Well, it's got a, uh, the, the weight he was at the other day, he's almost got a one-to-one of weight ratio. So if he really wanted to, he could just about pull it straight up. That's nice.
0: And as you say, the uh, the guys there at Combat Dragon are doing some work with our good friend Joel haskey and uh, you were uh, fortunate enough to be able to grab both of those guys at uh, one time, which would have been a challenge that day, I imagine, and uh, do a quick interview, which we'll play in a second. And following that, and I want to do this in this order now while we've still got Anthony on the line, uh, because it covers predominantly plane spotting, we're going to feature a, a new segment from our friend Peter Johnson. Now, if you listen to the Airplane Geeks podcast, and well, you should, uh, you'll know that uh, Peter does the Across the Pond segment. uh, So Peter is uh, going to uh, do a segment here occasionally for us called uh, From Up Here to Down There. So that will follow this one. And I want to play it now because uh, I want to get Anthony's thoughts in particular on that, being an airline pilot. So let's first go to the interview with uh, Joel.
7: So I'm here with Joel Haskey of Red Baron and uh, at his new facility at Bankstown Airport. Uh, Joel, earlier we were in the briefing room listening to a briefing for Combat Dragon the Dragonfly flight and we just saw the aircraft ta- start up and take off this is a new
6: addition to Red Baron isn't it what's what's the relationship between you guys and this is a new product you're offering yeah we're um, working pretty closely with the Combat Dragon guys to try and um, get get some more flights going and uh, we've since we moved in here they decided to move their operation over here for the front of house and um, we're working with uh, Jeff and the guys to, to get some more flying and we're hoping it's kind of come out with some new stuff for combat dragon and uh red baron combined in the very near future and we all know red baron is a uh, a place where you can learn
7: to fly learn aerobatics and also offer adventure flights but i've noticed some uh some other aircraft as well you've got matt hall's aircraft here is that a, a permanent or is he just visiting here today yeah, I
6: got Matt Hall's aeroplane down here for the um, for the open weekend that we're holding. Um, I work uh, with Matt from time to time on a couple of little things, and um, he's he's been really good to us in in letting us have the aircraft down here. And hopefully, we'll be offering some stuff in that uh, in the near future as well, out of out of this facility, maybe once a month, which uh, will be pretty good fun.
7: And this new facility, a is- I've got to say, it's a vast improvement on what you had before, you've got more office space, you've got a big briefing area, uh, people who come back from their flights can come straight back in and watch their videos in high definition. Um, so a really impressive facility. And still the same product
6: in terms of the adventure flights and the pizzas and in the extras? Yeah, we've got uh, got the old pizzas still. Um, they're s- still in uh, great condition and doing a great job. Um, they're pretty busy too. Uh, the extras just flat out, with. Really happy with how popular that is as a ride, right. and um, now with this new facility, it all has just come together. It's all complementing each other. We've got plenty of space, and um, and it just looks good. So yeah, it's uh, it's been a long road to get here, and I'm pretty happy with where it's going. And what's with the non-aerobatic airplanes in there? You got a couple of Bonanza's in there as well. Yeah, we've got. We're also a. Uh, uh, Um, facility where you can rent some hangar space if you need to. Uh, The hangar's almost full now, but we've got a couple of uh, Bonanzas, we've got some Cessna, Cessna, Cirrus, a few other nice aircraft and um, yeah, they're just, they live here. We use some of them a bit, but uh, for the most part, they're privately owned and we just uh, facilitate the hangar facility for them as well. Any uh, future expansion plans you can let us in on? We've got some ideas in the pipeline and um, we just need to uh, get a few things happening and make a bit more money. And once that ha- starts happening, then yeah, we, we hope to put some really cool stuff into action. And you got, I saw as I came in the front door next
7: to the, uh, your um, large plasma TV here, you've got a GoPro stand. Does this uh, mean that you're now selling GoPro cameras?
6: Yeah, well, I've, I've started using them uh, for recording flights for our customers. And, um, and it kind of occurred to me that I'm the, probably in a pretty good position to be able to sell some to, to my customers as well. And um, yeah, so I contacted the distributor and was approved as, as a distributor. And now um, you can get your GoPro products through me um, and I'll be having them online through our website as well. So yeah, just give me a call or look us up on the web to, uh, to get your GoPros. How many flights would you here in a day in terms of uh, joy flights and training flights? Oh, we can do probably around thirty in a day um, if we have a really good day. Um, we're probably average, probably fifteen to twenty a day uh, on the weekends. So, That's right, we're here with Joel's daughter as well. This is Layla. <laughs> right. Cool. Um, yeah. So when it's busy it's busy and and uh, flat out and when it's quiet then uh, you know we might not turn a prop but uh, yeah we just we keep keep trying we want to be busy all the time. How many pilots you have here on staff? I've got about uh, six to ten if you include all the casuals so yeah it it varies. (laughs) and, And most of those guys people you've trained yourself through your school um, in the past, it's been very much that. Um, recently, in the last couple of years, I've kind of looked for guys who I know in the industry and who can do what we do. And, um, yeah, so I've kind of uh, looked outside of our, our direct sphere um, recently, and it's worked out quite well. I've got some really good guys working for me now. Are
7: you finding as the airline's hire, it's hard to retain pilots? Do guys want to move on and fly the jets or multi engine aircraft?
6: Yeah. Um, uh, it's a good question. I don't. I don't think it's necessarily an airline uh, issue for me. It's more uh, just what what we can afford to pay guys and long-term prospects. Because once you've done a few thousand or a thousand uh, adventure flights, it's kind of not doesn't doesn't hold the same spark for a lot of people. Um, but I mean, it's still good flying, and a lot of guys get their start. Because through, through us, because I don't, you know, I'm not worried about experience, I'm worried about skill, and um, experience comes from just doing it. So, um, yeah, the, it's, most guys go move for, for money, not, not, not um, anything else. Did you have, ever have any aspirations to go to the airlines? I've never been airline o- oriented, to be honest. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's not what I got into aviation for. Um, I got got into flying because I love three-dimensional flight and when I found aerobatics and got into it that's kind of where I wanted to be and and that's why I've managed to stay in it for so long Um, where I get most of my pleasure is sharing that experience with other people and seeing how they uh, respond to it and I love it still keeps me here every day and are you going to be flying the jet? Uh, it's on the cards. Um, yeah, the, the guys from combat dragon have basically said I can start my, uh, my endorsement soon. So I'm looking forward to getting in the, the A37 and flying something really fast. Speaking of combat dragon, here's Jeff, who's the, uh, the, uh,
7: managing director of the combat dragon adventure flight company. We we're just talking to Joel about this new addition of having, uh, you guys based within Red Baron. Indeed. How do you see that working out for you guys? An exciting prospect for you?
5: Oh, well, look, I see it as a great opportunity to change our marketing strategy. I mean, Joel obviously has a fantastic business here, and uh, and Combat Dragon can certainly bring a value-added service to Joel's business and at the same time hopefully do, do wonders for our own.
7: That uh, aircraft we just watched t- set up a Taxi Off, he was going for a uh, for a 25-minute flight. What's he going to do while he's out there?
5: Well, he'll experience uh, everything about the Dragonfly and what it used to do in the Vietnam War. Our, our missions were largely tailored to uh, what the aircraft would do back when it was in service in the military and he'll experience various aerobatics that would be akin to a close air support mission some uh you know loops and rolls and escape maneuvers and things we'll get as low as we're legally allowed to do and and have some fun and make it look like we're going really fast how low, how low can you go oh well i think a thousand feet above built-up areas. is the rule isn't it joel i believe so that's correct of
7: course of course <laughs> All right, well thanks guys thanks for your time hope you enjoy your afternoon here at the uh, red baron open day And uh, we'll check in again soon and see what's happening at Red Baron and Combat Dragon.
5: Thanks, Anthony.
8: So welcome to From Up Here to Down There. Or is it Down Here to Up There? Anyway, this rather irregular segment of playing Crazy Down Under is from my slightly Anglophile point of view. I'm Peter Johnson. Today, we're talking to Matt Falkes. And Matt is a pilot, journalist, and author of the Airport Spotting Guide, Asia Pacific, Australia, and New Zealand, Matt welcome to Plain Crazy down under Hi, Peter. Good to be talking to you. Thank you very much for joining us. Matt. Tell us a little bit about how you've put this guide together, given that you live in the Northeast part of England. How do you cover this part of the world?
9: Well, uh, I've put this uh, book together from from uh, visits to the Far East and Australia that I've made over the previous years. Many happy hours spent exploring different airports over there, combined with keeping up to date with developments at, at the airports in, in the Far East. Right, you're a serious traveller then. Yeah, I try to be. Yeah, it, it is a, a passion and it's good to combine it with aviation. And
8: um, the guide itself, um, when was that published?
9: Uh, it, was, it was published last year, 2010. Right. Um, it covers uh, 42 airports in 11 different countries um, around the Far East. Right. Um, includes Australia, New Zealand, China, Japan, Singapore, Indonesia, Malaysia, Thailand, various other ones.
8: Yeah, well, that is a, a, a wide variety of aviation treats to the spotters and photographers out there. Apparently, the best spotting location I've heard of in Melbourne is on a road outside the perimeter fence close to the control tower. The trouble is, apparently, it's not easy to get to and not well known. Security is a bit of a problem. Do you have any suggestions on better spots and how to stay on the right side of the law?
9: Well, as you say, this is a good spot at, at Melbourne. Um, there are unfortunately there's no official spot there that, that I know of that I've found, but there are a variety of different uh, places you can you can view from around the perimeter. Uh, the the main road goes around there, and on the uh, opposite side of the terminal there's a there's a small car park which I think um, is quite popular. You'll usually find other spotters there congregating, taking photographs. So I think it's quite safe to use that one, and it's it's a good spot.
8: Right, and um, just staying in Australia then, at Sydney's Kingsford Smith Airport, the runway goes out into the harbour and some of the best shots are taken from spotters in boats. What's your view on Sydney?
9: Sydney is one of my favourite cities in the world. I I really enjoyed visiting and uh, Kingsford Smith is an amazing airport. It's got a great variety of airliners, I think, and, and it's great for, for photographs, I think, as well. As, as you say, there's a spot near the beach there and people use boats and sit on the beach and have huge A380s and 747s passing close by. There's a, there's also an view, official viewing gallery on the International Terminal, which is, is just as good, I think.
8: Right. Okay. And Then, moving um, slightly further afield, Hong Kong used to have one of the photographer's best spots as the aircraft made that very famous turn. What's
9: the new airport like? Uh, it's bigger, for a start. It's, um, it, it doesn't have the classic approach and a spectacular location of Kai Tak. Six- wind zero, nine, zero, seven, takeoff,
6: right.
3: is
9: But I think with it being bigger, it's it's allowed it to expand, so you get a lot more movements, a lot um, a lot more flights, coming in there um, as an official viewing uh, area on top of terminal 2 which it's ideal for for seeing everything and it's you know it's a great air, airport
8: right okay and what are the Chinese like in handling uh, aviation spotters is it approved or
9: um, it is. I think you get the same security issues, but China is quite quite a interesting place, really, because it has such a it's opening and renovating and improving airports at such a fast rate, and it also has a lot of aviation museums um, in right. its cities near near its um, airports. So it's it's a great place to go and see old Russian airliners and tridents and um, things like that. Really interesting country.
8: Oh, tridents, one of my favourite. I'll have to go. I'll have to go. Um, just Matt talking. Uh, a little bit further afield you talked about places like Malaysia what are places like that like to uh, to spot from
9: uh, malaysia is quite good the um kuala lumpur's international airport is really modern and big and it, it has um some good places within the within the terminal to to view um a lot of asian airports are really modern now and been modernized and i think uh places like uh, japan as well are, are fantastic for for spotting the, the each airport there i think even down to the smallest ones provide a, a viewing area so it, i think that's one of the the better countries to view in
8: yeah. And um Grant wouldn't let me uh get away with it if I didn't ask you about New Zealand. What are the opportunities there like?
9: Auckland is the the busiest airport naturally and um, yeah. they have uh, I think uh, I think there are official viewing areas um on top of each terminal. The mo- movement's not it's not as busy as as Sydney and Australia some of Australia's airports but it's a nice place.
8: What sort of aircraft types can we look forward to seeing in in that part of the world that visitors from Europe and the USA might not get to see?
9: I think the biggest thing about Asia is most countries heavily use wide-body aircraft. You see them all over Asia from the big airlines from each country. Obviously, you have a lot of A380s and and now you have the 787 flying from Japan, which it's uh, fairly unique at the moment. I know there's going to be a lot of them around the world soon, but that's something original to see in Asia at the moment.
8: And uh, Matt, are there any gems or unknown airports that are great for spotters and for photographing aircraft that you can
9: maybe just share with us before any of our listeners buy the guide? Uh, a gem that I found, which is fairly well known, but um, Manila in the Philippines, it's um, it's quite a big airport and it has lots of hidden areas around the perimeter, which are just stuffed with DC-3s and old older prop liners and things, which you know, is quite, quite nice to see those. And it's quite an u- unusual place to visit, I think. Yeah.
8: A question I know that's uh, on many of our lips at the moment is the question of security. With such a wide area covered by the guide, what sort of advice would you give to uh, people thinking of going to that part of the world to uh, photographing an aircraft and uh, spotting?
9: Um, I think each country is different and their rules are different, so it's, it's, it's wise to be aware of that and to try and read up beforehand. Uh, the guide does give. Give her tips on on security. At each of the airports covered yeah. in, in places like Australia, New Zealand, and Japan, it, it's quite understood, and you get a lot of uh, spotters um, hanging out there. Like I said, in Japan, each airport has a viewing gallery, and um, it's, it's you know you get families and enthusiasts there. All the time so yeah it's, it's understood in those places but in places like China it's not so much so it's it's just a bit of using a bit of common sense I think to to check up beforehand and not don't uh, make a nuisance of yourself I think
8: what other things do you uh, cover in the guide itself
9: well it, each um, each country is covered with an overview, it lists all of the commercial airports in, in that country. Uh, with each detailed guide, you get a, a layout map with spotting locations marked, a description of each one. You get lists of the airlines at that airport, the radio frequencies, hotels with views of the movements, um, and a list of nearby aviation attractions at other airports or museums and things. Yeah. So it's, it's a good guide to, um, to take with you or to use when planning. It's, it's quite uh, concise and comprehensive. Yeah, so if you're planning to uh, to visit that part of
8: the world, or if you're in that part of the world and looking to go and see some some of these other countries, spotting opportunities, how can they get hold of a copy? The, uh,
9: the guide is available from Amazon in in each each uh, region. It's available from DestinWorld.com. Right, okay, Matt. Thanks for coming and joining us on plane crazy
8: down under where can we find you online
9: Uh, i run airport spotting blog at www.airportspotting.com and i'm on twitter at airport spotting excellent
8: and the blog is an excellent way of keeping up to date on uh, developments at airports i've seen some of the recent activity on there and uh, matt's really got it uh, under control i'm peter johnson and this is from up here to down there or is it down here to up there. Anyway, you can find me on Twitter and I'm at Nascot Hornet, or you can find me on the web at www.xtpmedia.co.uk.
0: Well, there we go. And uh, boy, uh, I tell you what, uh, Joel Haskey, he does a pretty good job of impersonating his infant daughter at the same time he's talking to you, Anthony. I thought he did a masterful job.
7: Yeah, I think he was uh, he was doing his very best, but, you know, kids being kids. It was an open day too, so lots of people had their families there.
2: Multitasking, that's called. Cool.
7: Yeah, that's, well, right. that's right. That's right. Very <laughs> unusual for a man to be able to do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Don't leave it wide open for it about that one, home, mate. We talked last time we had you on about uh, your original podcast series, The Flying Ant Podcast. And if you want to hear in more detail about how they run things up there at Combat Dragon, I think that was Episode 2, was it, Anthony?
7: Yes, it was. It's uh, it's still there on iTunes. I'm still paying the $2.50 a month to keep it up on the server. Uh,
0: so, money uh, yeah, well spent. Go, go and have a listen to it. Absolutely. And that's uh, flyingantonline.com. That's the one.
1: Scroll down to the bottom of the page and uh, there's a couple of links, one to iTunes and one to the Libsyn archives.
0: Now, great to hear Peter Johnson doing that segment for us. And we're going to talk to Peter a bit later in the show too, but uh, let's talk about plane spotters briefly. Now, um, <clears throat> I may have allegedly been a plane spotter. Anthony, you've probably seen me at the runway coming in. You know, short final allegedly. Yeah,
7: I think I've recognised it there once. (laughs) Yes. Did you see me waving? Oh, was that you?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. yeah you know, it's, it's funny because um, working in the railways, I mean, we, we look at the train spotters around and, you know, of course, they're the butt of many, many jokes amongst the uh, train driving community. I assume that uh, plane spotters may be in for a similar treatment from some uh, more professional pilots.
7: Oh, uh, not really, because we understand that people are enthusiastic about aviation and not everyone's as lucky as we are that they actually get to do it. So uh, I've never heard anyone say anything disparaging and there's always the passing joke every now and again, but um, I've never heard anyone say, I've never heard anyone in my, my, My career, when I've been flying, say anything cruel or mean about them. Um, Yeah, the only people that get a ribbing from us are the morons that shine lasers at us.
1: Yeah, yeah, they deserve it.
2: Are you ever tempted to have a laser in your pocket and shine it back?
7: Oh yeah, it'd be tempting, wouldn't it? There's also all sorts of stuff's been thought of, but um, I think something like a Gatling
0: gun would be better to point at them than a laser. <laughs>
7: it's interesting; it's never the, they're never close to the airfield. They're always out ten miles out of the airport in the suburbs, in some back street of a suburb. So they're, they're um, although they, they do get caught. So uh, you know, especially the the geniuses that do it at the police helicopter.
1: The one thing that has a uh, infrared tracker and can lock onto the heat source by following the uh, beam back to where it came from. Oh yeah,
0: mm. I actually note with interest that in the most recent story of some clown that uh, attempted to do that to one of the police helicopters here in Melbourne lived uh, in the other estate across the road from me but anyway <laughs>
1: <laughs> well you know ling ming 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 yeah, ming ming yeah. Way the uh,
0: local magistrates court recently so uh, what a clown yeah so
2: uh, <laughs> are they at every airport
0: uh, I
7: think trying to think um, Sydney they hang around under the tower where the, there's a kink in a taxiway down to 3-4 right
1: yeah we used to be at the gate t- uh, uh, sorry they used to be at the gate twenty. <laughs> <laughs>
7: <laughs> Melbourne Please. it's Melbourne it's funny They're all over the place Melbourne it's if you're on taxiway Juliet and take off on three, four, you see them on that road that goes round to the tower.
0: Yeah, um, sp- undershoot
7: of three, four in Melbourne is pretty
0: popular. Oh, that's the yes. best. That is the best spot in the whole airport. So, I've give my wave. <laughs> give my waves to go past.
7: Um, undershoot of undershoot of one six is an ice cream van there sometimes. Yes,
1: yeah, that's that's the. Um, I've been there a couple of times when they're coming in from the north, and you got them going right overhead. It's not too bad.
2: So, Anthony, are they in every airport around? <laughs> I'm oh, um, just
7: running running to the airports that I go to in my head. Um, you yes. don't see them in Perth very often, but I think that's because there's not, probably not any really great spots in Perth to watch from. Adelaide, half the people's backyards are good spots to watch. <laughs> <In>
10: fact, <laughs> well, Adelaide yeah,
7: Melbourne. on 2-3 in Adelaide. There's approach lights literally in people's backyards. I'm assuming that air services must lease the land from them or something, because literally in someone's backyard is a high-intensity approach light.
2: Have you seen anything <laughs> funny when you're flying in, and y- you know the aircraft spotters doing anything strange?
7: Um, oh, they're Does always they have a hold up like-
2: signs for you. No, not for me. <laughs> Do they put you off when you're coming in to land?
7: Only if it's uh, if you're not disciplined because I had once or twice arched my head out the wind, like, to the side window as a non-flying pilot, of course, and on a nice day because I, I had to look twice because I couldn't believe there was a Mr Whippy van at the undershoot of the runway.
1: Yeah, <laughs> but, he's there um, all the
7: time.
2: What did the captain say when you did that?
7: <laughs> I don't think he noticed. I think he was too busy looking at the, the aiming point.
2: Too busy flying the plane. Flaps
7: 30. <laughs> Yeah, he's probably calling for the landing checklist or something. Yeah.
0: Anyway, we better wrap that segment up and throw it to the next ad break. Uh, Anthony, thanks for dropping in uh, for a, a brief session with us. We really appreciate you getting those interviews, mate. Uh, CombatDragon.com.au and, of course, uh, Joel Heskey, as always, can be found at RedBaron.com.au. Mate, you're off on another trip uh, with your employer and uh, I'm sure we'll be able to get some more uh, great interviews from you in the future. You can count on it. All right, thanks, mate. Stick around, folks. We'll be right back.
6: Take off for the adventure of a lifetime with OzAir Services and the Turidan Flying School, where you can live out your passion and learn to fly. Book a personalised charter flight to Lake Eyre, Flinders, and King Island, or anywhere in Australia, or enjoy an adventure flight for yourself or as a gift with scenic and aerobatic flights in the classic Tiger Moth on weekends. Take flight with Ausair Services at the Turidan Flying School. Go to ozairservices.com.au
11: is your company in the aviation industry advertising your business on our podcasts is an easy and inexpensive way of reaching the growing online aviation community whether a conversational infomercial or radio style ad we can produce advertisements tailored to your target market and budget We can also use your own pre-produced commercial. With an audience of pilots, professionals and enthusiasts across the Asia-Pacific region and growing around the world through increasing cross-promotion with other online media, this is a great alternative to traditional advertising. For further information, simply go to our website, www.playingcrazydownunder.com, and click on the Advertising With Us link.
6: Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network.
3: The
1: VoicesInYourHead.com We're here in the hangar at achuca of uh, GT gyroplanes I'm here with uh, Jeff Morrison, one of the two brothers who uh, owns and operates uh, GT Gyraplanes. So uh, you manufacture them?
12: We do, yeah. Started about four years ago. I've yep. been over in Australia for five years. My brother, halistry has been here for about 25 or 30 and. And it was really him that got me into building gyroplanes. He gets, he gets motion sickness and, and he <laughs> got sick of that and, okay. and, and he owned, he got his PPL and, and then he went and he bought an aero and did several hundred hours in that and he could throw up over the side and didn't matter. so <laughs> 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 And then he decided he wanted something a um, bit warmer to fly around in so, and gyroplane was the, was, was the machine that he decided he wanted to build. And um, so we set ourselves up and building gyroplanes.
1: Now I noticed a bit of a, bit of a brogue there, Irish descent. Scottish, oh, Scottish, so but, but New sorry. Zealand, but, yeah, yeah, Kiwi yeah, Scott, yeah. We're, we're Kiwi Scots. Dunedin yeah, yeah. area, yeah, exactly, yeah, down the go. bottom, bottom yeah. of the South Island, yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah. You've been away for a little while, it gets beaten into you over, <laughs> over here, doesn't it? Yeah, okay. <laughs> exactly. So born and bred New Zealand, or that's right, uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 in the Dunedin yeah. area, yeah, yeah, south
12: of Dunedin, okay. yeah, south of Targo. Uh, Clinton was where we were brought up on a farm there.
1: And uh, so I understand you got into flying at a relatively young age. Not super young, but, uh, you know, about the time that most guys are going, oh, I want a car and a girl. Yeah, exactly, yeah. I
12: got the aviation bug when I was about 17 and started flying. And I was working on a farm then and would spend half my weekly wage on flying. And I could get an hour's flying in a, in a 172, $9 an hour. <laughs> $9 <dollars laughs> that, Kiwi an hour. And that was with the instructor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, so, I, so I got my PP for under five hundred dollars. That's yeah. the long and the short of it. I mean, it was yeah. You look back and it was the cheapest chips.
1: Yeah, yeah. but then but then you look at how much you're earning. That's right. As a seventeen year old slaving your e- arse off. For, exactly,
12: uh, you know, exactly for eighteen bucks a week. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah you are slaving away for eighteen dollars a week, and yeah, it's it's sort of like yeah, you know, you're not you're not going to get you know you're lucky to get five hundred bucks a week if you if you're out there slaving away, and it's right, two hundred yeah. bucks for your first lesson. Yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah,
12: and if you look at it today, if 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 the average job today spend half his wages on flying yeah. he can do more than one hour's flying
3: yeah
12: that's the long yeah. and short of it I mean they're getting five or six hundred dollars a week and you can you, you know two hundred dollars a, an hour for a, for a Cherokee or a Cessna or something and so they can get more than an hour's flying so they're better off today than they were back in, in my days but that's yeah. the way it isn't
1: so long as you're living at home and not trying to go out partying <laughs> with the mates and don't want a new car and all those <laughs> things right exactly yeah because yeah, you never had wheels did you
12: no I didn't No, no. I bought an airplane when I was I 18, What'd old Oster, paid $1,750 for that. <laughs> so I had a motorbike and an aeroplane and that was it. I was all around you the bottom half of the South Island, and <laughs> so, on a student license, No nice. matter.
1: Go out and have some fun. Just go
12: out and have some fun, Yeah, exactly.
1: So you were, it was it was a lot of jo- joyriding, a lot of yeah, statute of limitations is now over, you know, you can tell That's us right. about it. <laughs> so how, how many years were you just bumming around flying?
12: About another year after that, I sold the Oster and I bought a Piper Cub when I was, when I was about 19. And, and got stuck into the venison. Doing yeah, deer spent, hunting? Yeah, spent four years flying into backcountry strips and, and uh, shooting deer and gutting them and so carting me out of the aeroplane and shooting out of choppers and, and all oh, that carry-on. so on. You'd,
1: you'd land somewhere <laughs> and then go off, you weren't shooting out of the plane?
12: No, no, not shooting out of the plane, no, no, yeah. no, just foot shooting, flying yeah. and land on the riverbeds and, yeah. and strips that you make yourself, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. and um, yeah, you'd, you'd carry deer for, yeah, a mile. You know?
1: But lug it out on your back and get it there and prep it and pack it and take it home just in the plane
12: put it in the plane yep and when you, got to, when, you, when you got a load just fly out and catch yeah. them in.
1: Yeah. Yeah. it's amazing <laughs> what you can fly in a cub isn't it <laughs> it is <laughs> don't look I'm <laughs> just taken <If>, off
12: <laughs> if, if you want to know all about it there's a good film out called the venison hunters yeah.
1: as opposed to the deer hunter
12: that's right as opposed to the deer hunter yeah, yeah, <laughs> the venison hunters by a chap called Mike Bennett Yeah, really okay. good uh, shows you what went on over in New Zealand we had a huge venison industry
1: how many years were you bringing out um, deer and converting that to flying money.
12: Yeah, four years I spent doing that and in that time there were times when I shot out of the helped the chaps out on the helicopters either flying the deer out for the choppers after, after they'd shot them they'd just land them on the strips and, and or shooting out of the chopper yeah, spent yeah quite a few hours getting around on the hiller and shoes 500. Yeah,
1: yeah <laughs> classic ones for that. Too <laughs> ride. Right. I know back then it was all shoot them and bring them out but now they're, yeah. they're breeding them so it's go out and bag them to bring them back That's right. as new yeah. gene stock isn't it?
12: That's right. Yeah, yeah. well I was, I was out of the industry before they started the live capture, but okay. yeah, there was huge money made and lost
1: in the, <laughs> in the venison industry. Oh yeah, and the velvet <laughs> and everything. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So where'd you go? Where'd you go after all that? After roughing it down the back?
12: Yeah. Well, I was just working it for an aviation outfit in, in Dunedin at that stage, and then um, um, shifted up country to, to Christchurch and went general engineering, and then went back to Wanaka. And was working um, back in aviation again uh, for South Air Aviation, and and for Tim Wallace and the uh, Alpine Fighter Collection. Yeah, working on warbirds and all all heavy metal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, Corsairs and Spitties and oh. and uh, Hurricanes and yeah, yeah. <laughs> T40s. Know, can you hear the gnashing of the teeth? You know, everyone who's yeah, listening. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Been, been up in, oh, the Avenger. Yeah, been yeah. up in the Avenger and had several flights in P-51. and
1: Okay, that's it. The recording's <laughs> off. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> cool. <Yeah. laughs> and so so you did that for quite a while, and then how'd your brother convince you to come over? I mean, had you done anything with gyrocopters, gyroplanes before? N- no,
12: never. Never been in a gyroplane in my life before that,
1: no. And
12: um, we didn't come over, my wife and myself, we didn't come over intentionally just to build gyros, but we came to Australia because we've got a daughter down at Gippsland farming mm. down there, and dairy farming, and, and the grandkids, and we thought we'd come over, we'd be a bit closer. Yeah, and then got tied up with the gyroplanes it's going really good we're just yeah four years we've come we've 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 come leaps and bounds in four years
1: yeah Yeah. well i mean it's looking very sexy it's a full cabin closed gyrocopter it is it is yeah do you prefer do you prefer gyrocopter or gyroplane i know you've got yeah yeah
12: gyroplane that's what yeah yeah yes we do we 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 try to to get away from gyrocopter that's a yeah got some baggage it has.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
12: yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, so a the few And the, one of the things we wanted, we we reckoned that side-by-side seating was um, was, was better than tandem. It's more socially acceptable. Um, fully enclosed where it's, if it's a cold morning, you can leave the doors on. If it's hot, you can take them off or you can take the top half of the door off and throw it up on the dashboard. And,
1: so you've thought yeah. things through. I mean, obviously, if it's hot, warm, you've got to leave the doors at home. If you're taking them off, you can't. But well, you can. can we can take in. the
12: top half of the door off and put it up yeah. on the dashboard. Yeah, that's yeah, cool. So, yeah, so, um, let's I'll have a look just, at that. Take the door off
1: and yeah, just pop the, those wires out and those right. hinges, and it's designed to actually fit properly on the dash.
12: It is, yeah, yeah. Right. Right. yeah. That's what we wanted to do because if you're away uh, away from base and you want to take the top half of the door off, that's right. Yeah, you can do that you and bring
1: it, it with you and fly home still. Exactly. Not... Oh, that's yeah, a lot of nice storage <laughs> under the seats. Yeah, you, you get a, get a few tinnies under there. Yeah, right? yeah no, totally.
4: <laughs>
1: <laughs> and has it got cooling in there? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so now you mentioned like we just. As a throwaway, we talked about the baggage of gyrocopter versus gyroplane. I've heard a lot of the stories about thrust lines and getting into pilot-induced oscillations right. and things like that. So that was on a lot of the older designs. What's, yeah. what's new that sort of prevents that? Is it, is it just training, or is it the new designs are more inherently safe?
12: No, no, it's the, it's the new design that's um, inherently safe. Lift the machine up off the ground so we can put the motor down, the prop thrust in line with the CAG. We we weigh the machine up and do a hang test and get the prop in the right spot so that, right. yes, when you put power on, it doesn't, it just flies straight ahead, and when you drag the power off, it still just, yeah, it yeah. doesn't do anything
1: stupid. Because that was what yeah. it was all about, wasn't it? It was. It was if yes. you were above or below the CG, as you adjusted your power. Exactly. And then that would unload the rotors, and That's right. off you'd go. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, Okay. And,
12: and the other big thing, of course, is the horizontal stabilizers that we run yep. now. All other fixed-wing aircraft have a horizontal yep. stabilizer out the back. Yep. It's it, it stops them pitching over and, and mucking around. Well, same with a guy. With a If you fly through um, thermals and, and dust devils, you know, it just stops the machine from um, okay. reacting quickly and violently and, and, and nosing up and down, yeah.
1: So I noticed that the horizontal is right in the uh, prop wash of the engine, so... Exactly. That's to to help ensure that it's got maximum effectiveness and so on?
12: Being in the centre of the thrust line, it's getting downforce on one one side and upforce on the other, and, it, and it's um, neutralised itself out. Okay, and yeah. that sort of yeah. helps.
1: Even though even though the rotors aren't powered, so you don't have that yeah. torque effect, but you've that's still right. got a bit of a wash, so does that but help balance? That out?
12: It does. We've got a we've got a torque effect from the, the propeller at the back, okay. the pushing propeller, and it has got a torque effect. And the horizontal tends to um, even it out a bit. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah.
1: So they, these are the kinds of things. So it's it's that um, thrust line through the centre of gravity, the horizontal stabiliser. And a bit more work on the modern designs and sort of voila, they're a whole different breed to what people knew 20 years ago, right? Exactly. Okay. That's right. A really
12: right. safe, stable, relatively easy to fly. I mean, once you're off the ground, it's it's just like any other aircraft to fly. When...
1: Except you can, if you've got about 20 knots coming over the nose, I know on the one I flew at Natfly, we could pretty close to hover. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it was yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's,
12: that's the fun side of it. Yeah, when everybody else is putting their aircraft away because of the wind it's just time to get the gyroplane out and play around in it. <laughs> they really do and they love yeah. a bit of wind they, yeah. you can really have a lot of fun yeah yes. uh, we, yes. we
1: did, did yes. love it um, yeah. it was in one of the motorbike ones though so it was a bit cold but it was awesome and do you have like a spinner on this do you have something to pre-rotate yeah. the, the, yes. the rotor
12: Yes, we do. We've got a hydraulic pre-rotator. We can we can wind the, the blades up to about 140 RPM sitting on the on the end of the strip. Uh, they're normally travelling at about 340, so you're nearly halfway there of getting up to flying speed. Yeah, okay. which just
1: shortens your takeoff. Oh right? yeah, For and sure. what is your t- what is your flying speed on this?
12: Anywhere from about 40 to 80 knots. It's got a red line of 90 knots. You've got to be a bit careful. It's easy to go over that. <laughs>
3: yeah,
12: yeah. But yeah, anywhere anywhere from about 40 knots to to 80 knots.
1: Now I notice that you've got. Got in this one that we're looking at at the moment, you've got all the um, in, instruments and so on and the, and the actual push to talk and all, this, all, the, all the gear you want on a control column is on the right hand side, not on the left. Is this like as in a helicopter, you fly it from the right?
12: The side of the aeroplane that you actually fly from is, is directly related to either the torque of the rotor on yeah. a helicopter or the torque of the propeller on a gyrocopter. This, this machine here is trying to talk the machine to the left. So we sit on the right hand side of the, of the
1: aircraft. Oh, that's right. The classic question. So she'll redline at 90. 40 to 80 is the classic flying speed. So the big question then is, what's its range and what's its carrying capacity? And what's the balance between the two? We're limited to 600 kilos, all up weight. Because of the... Uh, the, the, the regulations
12: yeah. of Ezra of CASA. So depending on the empty weight of your aircraft, we've got four hours or four and a half hours range in the
1: cruiser. At full tanks. That's right. We've got, a,
12: we've got 110 litres on board, so we can that's go a, go a fair way. That's a lot of fuel.
1: Yeah. Uh, that's more than my car. So what's, what is the empty weight of, a typical empty weight of one of these?
12: We're running at about 380 kilos. Okay. Hopefully we're gonna get down a, a, bit, a bit lighter with this yeah. next machine, the one behind you here we're building. We're just doing a few different uh, improvements and. We hope to get the the empty weight down to about 360,
1: yeah. Gives you a little bit more room to put the picnic lunch or another stubby in. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) With these aircraft now, these get registered under the... uh...
12: Yeah, ASRA, Australian Sport Rotorcraft Association. Okay. It's it's just, it's it's under the umbrella of of CASA. The organisation runs itself, and if it's not run properly, then CASA step in and tune you up, and and, and that's right, and and make you toe the line again, but it hasn't happened so far, so we're, yeah, it's a good organisation, well run, um, got a good board. And so they're registered under that as,
1: as a G and then a number mm-hmm. after it, and yep. that's it. So basically the fun part now comes, how much would it cost to buy one of these?
12: The cruiser here is um, 80000 okay. plus GST, yep. fly away, finished. Ready at a Chuka,
1: go. at the hangar at Chuka, yes. With with yes. avionics and everything. Yes, with the radio. That's pretty good. I mean, you know, people yeah. pay more than that for their um, family car, that kind of exactly. thing. Exactly. That's so. dead right. And how many are you producing? Are you able to produce in a year? I mean, yeah.
12: Well, that's a good, very good point, but there's only two of us here working. We're still doing a little bit of R&D, but we can turn out three or four a year, and, and that's what we've been doing.
1: And the market is there yeah. for
12: them? It is, and it's picking up uh, every day, yeah. We're exactly. More and more inquiries, and... Plans to build more, or? exactly. Plans to expand. That's yep. the big thing. Yes, yeah. things are looking pretty bright actually okay. for the gyroplane uh, fraternity in the country. Well, back to the machine. What's what are the blades made of? The blades are fibreglass, and the blades and propeller is carbon fibre. They're made up in Bundaberg by a chap right. there, Rob Petroni, and he makes the rotor head too. Everything else is we try to make it in house. We make the screens ourselves. Cabin, it's carbon fibre. Yeah, yeah we, make, we do all that. is just done locally in a Echuca. We're running a Suzuki, turbocharged Suzuki motor, um, 1600, G1600B, turbocharged about eight pound of boost and giving us about 160 horsepower. Yeah, running really smooth, very, very nice motor. Really yeah. thrilled with the way the motor's going.
1: I was going to ask if you were running anything, what particular Nothing, motor, nothing really of... fancy,
12: it's just yeah. um, we needed a turbocharger. Australia's a very hot country, yes. especially in the, in the middle and especially you know, up the top. and So a turbo is, is a definite advantage.
1: So if it's getting, if if you're getting for like four hours endurance out of a hundred and ten liters four and four and a half yeah, we're, with reserves,
12: we're the fuel burn is it's, it is directly related to how far you have the throttle open, but. If there's just one person in it and and you're getting along at about 70, 75 knots, we're burning about 18 to 20 litres an hour. So there's actually five airs. But if there's two up and you're and you've got the throttle open a bit more and to get along at, you know, like the same sort of speed, yeah, you're you're, you're burning twenty to 22, 23 liters.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well Jeff, thank you very much for your time, mate.
1: <laughs> you're welcome, mate. Cool. <laughs>
0: Well, there we go, Grant. Sounds like you had too much fun that weekend up there at Echuca.
1: Well, it was actually a weekday. I went up on a Friday. I blew off work for the day and uh, shot up there. I uh, was going up to catch up with the guys from uh, jetride.com.au and uh, hung out with them for a bit and also uh, caught up with the guys at uh, GT Gyroplanes and, yeah, had a really good time. Really loved it. You know me, I love the uh, more funky element of aviation. And uh, after that stint in the ELA 8 at Tomora for Natfly, I, I just had to have another go of a gyroplane. And this one was a fully enclosed cabin one. And I'd never been in one. So heck, he offered. I took it. We had a great flight.
0: I guess you can compare the two now. I mean, is this a similar sort of design to the one you flew up at NetFly?
1: Well, they're similar in the fact that they are a, a gyroplane, and so you've got a, a, um, a rotor and an rotation and a pusher propeller. The GT gyroplane has a uh, Honda motor pushing it along with a turbo, whereas the ELA-08, the Spanish one, that has a uh, Rotax, also uh, turbocharged around, I think it's a, somewhat over 100 horsepower. The ELA is is more like a motorbike you sit tandem, uh, you're open. So we had some very serious jackets on because it was kind of cold being April and um, you're, you're right out there in the elements. It's a lot of fun. It's uh, very much like riding a motorbike in the sky. Whereas the GT gyroplane one, it's side-by-side seating. It's enclosed cockpit. You do have doors on the side you can totally take off or you can just take, as he mentioned in the interview, the top halves off, the clear um, perspex part of it and put them on top of the dash. So you can fly around with the top half of the doors open, which is what we did a lot of fun stooging around at about 70 or 80 knots with your arm hanging out like you're driving the car and uh yeah it's it's quite a different experience you've got naturally got more protection from the elements like that you're side by side so you can reach over and smack each other if you're doing something um i think it's probably more of a design that would uh, appeal to the people who who want to just jump in a plane and go for a fly take the the uh, significant other for a bit of a ride all that kind of stuff get from a to b and um and not really have that motorbike experience.
0: They still look a bit flimsy to me, but, I, you know, when you have a look at them, and I remember having a look at the ones up at Bright there, and really, even though they do look flimsy, I mean, the, the amount of load that they can take and the way they're rigged up is phenomenal and probably better than your average Cessna, if I had to guess.
1: <laughs> well, uh, this one definitely took my weight, mate. But basically, it's, it's the same kind of concept. You have a pre-rotator, you engage a drive, the uh, pusher engine uh, takes some of its power off, starts spinning the rotor over your head and gets that up to probably about halfway where you need to be. So you do that at the end of the strip. Then you open it all up, disconnect the um, pre-rotator and start going down the runway. And uh, with the rotor right back, the airflow through it starts the rotor into its uh, pre-rotating state. And then once the rotor is up to the right RPM, you push the stick forward, it engages and whew, up you go. It's a really brilliant concept. It's been around for a very long time, uh, invented by a Spaniard. Um, the Autogiro they called it and yeah it's, it's got it had a bit of a bad press at one point uh, a lot of people built their own ones didn't quite know exactly what they were doing some of the, the physics and aerodynamics weren't quite right and uh, they wound up in a situation where they're able to unload the rotor if you get any negatives on the rotor or take the solid weight off the rotor in the auto rotation state uh, that's when all heck breaks loose and you're in a lot of trouble they also had a lot of pilot induced oscillations things like that but the new design uh, gyrocopters are just amazing and a lot of fun I've really enjoyed flying them.
0: Kathy. any ambitions to, uh, you know, potter around in, in uh, anything like that?
2: Oh, I'd love to. Looks like a huge amount of fun. I've just looked it up on the website.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, def- definitely. Uh, the side-by-side one is more of a, yeah, it really has more of that sports car kind of feel or, or um, you know, two-seat go from place to place.
2: Did they skewed up the river in that do they? Uh,
1: we went over the river, but we were having it was the closest I've come to flying like I was in a balloon. We were quite low and uh, up and over some trees down the other side it's it's a lot like terrain contour following when you're flying a balloon. I would imagine that at a lot faster speed, it would be a lot like uh, top dressing, you know, as an aerial ag pilot, but uh, yeah, much faster. But because uh, I think mean, this thing, we we're only doing 70 or 80 knots, but it was it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it.
0: Well, it does sound like a lot of fun. And I'll tell you what, uh, GT gyroplanes, it's good to see um, once again, some local uh, local Australian manufacturing and just proving that, uh, you know, despite all the odds these days, it, uh, it can be done. It's great to see.
2: I think the next thing we'll see, Steve, will gyro skiing up the Murray.
0: Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, and when that happens, Kathy, you know we're going to send you there with the video camera.
2: I'll be on the bridge.
0: <laughs> right, come on, Kathy, get both skis out of the water. <laughs>
2: Are they hard to control?
0: No,
1: not at all. It's just like, like- I had
2: a couple of guys in a helicopter and it was almost impossible to hover it. Yeah, no, no no no, no, no,
1: no, nothing at all like that because oh. uh, the, the rotor is in continuous auto rotation. You're moving along. It's like flying an aircraft. You bank the stick, all that. You don't have the rudder pedals are for a bit of coordination, things like that. You're not really having that same interconnectivity between all the, the rotors and so on. It's just you're flying along and it's a lot like flying a normal aircraft, uh, except you can with a good headwind, you can actually hover.
2: So how much do they cost?
1: Well, and go- how long
2: does it take to learn to fly
1: one I'll have to let you know on am learning to fly I've got to finish uh, a yeah. bit of other stuff first I haven't haven't gone up and done my um, gyrocopter license which I do want to do but uh, 80,000 will get you one of these ones from the, the guys at, uh, at Chuka
0: well that else sounds like uh, too much fun but uh, we better move on as time is running short and uh, I tell you what uh, it was great to hear Peter Johnson do his segment from up here to down there and uh, we didn't want to finish the episode without uh, saying hello to Peter and introducing him to the audience so uh, Peter joins us on the line now from a cafe uh, just waiting for Breakfast somewhere in Central England. Hi there, Peter. Hi
10: guys. How you
0: doing? We're very well, mate, and uh, we believe we're uh, b- delaying you from ordering the Olympic breakfast. That's right. I can
10: smell it cooking as we speak. Uh, uh, are um, your arteries bacon, hardening? sausage, eggs. Uh, oh, in anticipation! In anticipation! Very excellent excited.
0: Well, mate, we just played your, uh, your your segment just there before the ad break and uh, it's uh, good to be able to get you on finally onto the show and uh, our listeners who listen to the Airplane Geeks will be familiar with your work. <laughs> but for those who don't listen to Airplane Geeks, maybe uh, just give us uh, tell us a bit about yourself.
10: Yeah, I, uh, I used to be, I suppose, the true Airplane Geek sitting at the end of the runway with my fingers in the fence. Um, as a young boy, my dad, who was in the Royal Navy Fleet Air Arm, used to drag me from airport to airport I wouldn't say kicking and screaming. It was a, a great time in my life. And uh, then I let it all go. Uh, did a lot of my private license in my 30s and came back to aviation a year or two ago. So really got excited about being involved with the Airplane Geeks and you guys and really enjoying the, uh, the ride, really. Um, producing material for, uh, as I say, the geeks. But more recently, joining you guys to talk a little bit about aviation issues in your part of the world, but with a European angle. So I'm very keen to talk to people up here who come from your part of the world who want to share their aviation stories.
0: And we'd certainly invite any of our listeners, if you're uh, listening in that part of the world or you know people that are in Peter's part of the world that uh, are involved in aviation and have an interesting story, uh, you certainly let us know here at the podcast and um, we'll uh, pass that on to Peter because, you know, we're, we're getting very good here, aren't we, Granted, giving other people work to do for us.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're totally learning the power of delegation. Be careful.
0: Abdication. <laughs> abdication. Kathy will warn you all about that. Yeah. No, no, we're not. We're
1: not abdicating anything. We're just delegating stuff. I mean, Steve's learning how to delegate um, editing work to me, and it's really scary.
10: Yeah, I, I, I think that's a very scary thing for you to do, Steve. Letting go of the editing. Does it? Does it feel odd?
0: It's. Um. It. it takes a lot of willpower. It, it really does. But uh, anyway, we get. Otherwise, this show would never be produced. But then he also
1: has to learn how to, you know, exhibit some restraint when he listens to what I've edited and tries not to go grand
0: down. Peter, Dick, do you come across a lot of uh, Australians and Kiwis there in the UK? We know, at least anecdotally, that uh, there's there's plenty of us over there.
10: Yeah, I mean, obviously, in the main cities, uh, particularly in London, there's a, a, a high population. And, of course, you know, we can all relate some of the stories about the capacity to uh, absorb alcohol, with most of the people from that side of the world. But, uh, yeah, i got some good good friends coming from uh, Australia. And one of the things we might think about doing is having a chat with them about their travels backwards and forwards because I think the air routes between your part of the world and this part of the world are changing. You know, they used to be very strategic and go through the old territories, but so much more now going through uh, the Middle East and Dubai and... Uh, I want to talk to some people who are experiencing that change and, and see what the trips are like.
0: Peter, um, you, you've done so much great work there on the Airplane Geeks and uh, I've I got to tell you that um, probably my uh, my personal favourite from this year was the uh, the interview that you did with your father. That was really um, a fantastic interview and a wonderful experience and we know sadly that um, your father passed away a month or so back but that must have yeah. been a really special time for you and, and what an opportunity to be able to, to record those memories.
10: Yeah, it's, it's not often that we take the chance Chance to uh, see what's right on our doorstep. And, um, you know, dad had shared his. uh his flying stories with me <laughs> many a time many a time he was a good storyteller um but what we found when we sat down and actually had a little dig was that there was so much more about his flying career that we we just didn't know about and um we managed to unearth some real gems talking about his flying in uh, in canada and also in some of the islands of the uk particularly the channel islands where they were patrolling and attacked by a german gun battery um, which is an interesting story, but also where he almost got court-martialed when he forgot to uh, reel in the trailing aerial. And as they came into land, they dragged it across the perimeter, fence slicing it in half. So yeah, some really, really entertaining stuff. And yesterday I was at the Fleet Air Arm Museum, uh, Royal Naval Air Station, Yeovilton, sitting down with the guys there talking about how we could get all those records and stories of his into the Royal Navy archives. So, uh, you know, he was a performer uh, and he'll live on hopefully in... uh, all the stories and in the airtime that we've given him so yeah it's a fantastic opportunity and I really appreciate all the feedback we've had from around the world on that episode particularly from uh, down under
0: yeah I think a lot of our our servicemen and women uh, particularly those that served uh, around that era too I mean there's a great affinity between um, Australians and and, and Kiwis and and the British uh, service community Uh, so it really was a wonderful interview Uh, we know you're you're about to head off there and do some work mate Uh, XTP Media .co.uk is your website and uh, people can go there yep. and they can see links to uh, Peter's blog which is Alpha Tango Papa the Across the Pond segment there on the Airplane Geeks and uh, the occasional uh, from up here to down there segment so uh, Peter we really appreciate you uh, putting yourself out to do this for us it's, it's very much appreciated mate
10: really really enjoy it love the show and really excited about being a part of it cool thanks mate
0: okay well we, you guys- will, we will let you get off to have your uh, your English breakfast and of course me being on a diet I, I, I don't wish to even have so much as an email about how good it was. (laughs) I
10: shall shall take a photo and send it.
1: Good luck, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks,
0: Thanks, Peter. Cheers. I'll tell you what, guys. um, He better not send me a photo of that breakfast. It's been so long since I've had, you know, well, any real food.
1: Oh, come on. Just have another cum quap. wrap and on we go. Oh,
0: God. I'll tell you what. (laughs) I'll tell you what. uh, Somebody who looks like he needs to ride the push bike instead of the motorbike more often is the postie. Oh, is this the midnight postie? Not even midnight yet for a change. I know, he's early. It's only 10.30. yeah oh listen to mail. i tell you what, Grant, we've had a fair amount of listener mail since the last couple of episodes. Oh, haven't we, just? And yeah. even some of it wasn't bad. And yeah. not all of it was telling us to go away. Yeah, so we deleted the hundreds of nasty ones and picked out these three nice ones. Grant, do you want to kick off?
1: Yeah, I told you it was a good idea to set up that nasty filter. <laughs> yes. Good old Gmail. Anyhow, first one we've got here is from Andrew Brown, saying thanks from the UK. Hey, this is great. We've got a couple of people from the UK in this episode, and uh, he just wanted to say that he was uh, very impressed with uh, the content we put together for the Qantas issue back on uh, the long episode seventy-seven. Uh, thought it was, uh, he said it was really good and professional and honest and even-handed, and lots of other really good stuff that I'm thinking we must have paid him for because it's pretty good.
0: Yep, and we wrote back to uh, Andrew just to, uh, to, you know, thank you for. Taking the time to say nice things to us, but uh, no, we really do appreciate that. We got, we got a lot of feedback on that Qantas episode, and uh, you know, the whole point of that was not to tell anybody what to think. Really, I mean, we, um, we we tried to get people from both sides of the fence so people could make up their own mind. I mean, it was a very contentious issue, and contentious from whichever the side of the fence you sit on. That, but uh, it was it was nice to know that people appreciated the work. We uh, we really did work hard on that one, so it was it was nice to know that people enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, and uh, it was interesting because there were a number of people who would say, oh, "I I thought it was well done," and I even though I didn't agree. with... With these guys or those guys, and there was some agreeing with one group, some agreeing with another group. It was really good. It was it was you know, brought it up for people to have a listen to. So yeah, we were pretty happy with that one.
0: Yeah, of course we mentioned uh, to Andrew, of course he lives over in the UK, that uh, Anthony the infrequent flyer Simmons was over there uh, at Duxford, uh, where he's got some interviews. And uh, yeah, they're still they're still coming, but Anthony's actually been not not too well lately, so uh, they've been a little bit delayed. But uh, he just said, oh I'm gutted." He said, oh, "I just." Have live just down the road from there so uh gee we, we should have got alan joyce to uh, engineer that situation a little bit earlier and we could have had that episode out and then he would have known i guess that uh, was there.
1: <laughs> that's the one
0: so uh, yeah great uh, thanks andrew really appreciate you uh, taking the time to uh, contact us and uh, playing crazy down under at gmail.com and uh, somebody else who's uh, taken the time to send us in a voicemail is our friend up in uh, canada ian kershaw
4: Hi, Grant, Steve, Baz, it's Ian Kershaw with a brief note from uh, Calgary, Alberta on Wednesday, the 8th of November, it's lunchtime, I've got my uh, plane crazy down under cap on, my camera and a coffee, and I'm at YYC just waiting for Lufthansa, um, not Lufthansa, so KLM 330 to come in uh, with that beautiful blue finish in the Alberta sunshine. <clears throat> in the meantime... Just finished listening to your article on the Qantas issue. What a classy piece of work. Um, you did a fabulous job at Avalon and this latter piece on Qantas and the different speakers that you got and how you handled it um, and, and uh, provided a forum for those of us in um, all around the world, in fact, to, to listen to the different perspectives, uh, you did it really, really well. And just reinforces what we thought when we listened to you at Avalon is that you guys are producing an absolutely well balanced, first class uh, piece of reporting with a really good dose of humor, but also an ability to uh, focus and um, share your thoughts and create opportunities for some really good content I appreciate it. Wanted to say thank you and look forward to your future episodes as always. All the best guys. Bye now.
0: Now yeah, we really, really do appreciate that. Ian ian has been a great supporter of PCD over these uh, last uh, year and a half or so since we, uh, we first made contact with him. And in fact, if you took the time to uh, do the, uh, the survey monkey uh, survey that we had set up uh, back a few months back well, it was actually Ian that set that up for us. So uh, a big supporter of the show and uh, th- thanks mate for taking the time to uh, say those really nice things. And it's nice that it's getting some traction, uh, you know, on, on all sides of the world by the sound of it, Grant.
1: Yeah, no, there's, uh, you yeah, we're getting the comments coming from all over and, uh, you know, there's been a lot of good ones. There's been a couple who said, you don't know what you're on about and, you know, that happens. Uh, you do anything and somebody's going to try and say you're don't know what you're on about but uh, on the whole everyone really enjoyed it so uh, yeah thanks to Ian and thanks to everyone out there really appreciate it guys it's uh, the comments that come back that let us know that we're actually um, getting through to people and, and uh, that it's generally being enjoyed so thank you
0: yeah and of course uh, you know as we say here, we don't pretend to be experts there's a lot we don't know so uh, yeah, that's what we try to get people on who do know what they're talking about now uh, one more one that we've got here uh, actually i have got uh, two more but this one here uh, comes from Chris Howard Bath who's uh, actually a work colleague of our friend ATC Ben. Uh, We must uh, talk to him a bit more often and get a bit more goss, I think. We need a bit more uh, dirt on ATC Ben so we can get him to do another segment for us.
1: Yeah, you know, I actually have to go out to Tuller pretty soon for the um, end of year Christmas thanks guys that uh, the ballooning operators do. We generally um, go around and say thanks to all of them for all the help they give us while we're flying over Melbourne. So uh, yeah, next time I'm out, I might see if I can pick up some more goss on them.
0: Yeah, so uh, Chris, uh, quite a long email here, but uh, yeah, just uh, sent in a note of appreciation for the show. And uh, one of the things he said was that uh, that struck a chord with him was my comment about the C-130 Hercules being my favourite aircraft. And uh, he said it's also his favourite aircraft. and He's even got to fly in one, so now I'm green oh, with envy, cool. mate.
1: <laughs> jealous. Pretty Steve's awesome. jealous.
0: So he actually sent this in to us back on uh, October 31, and he said at that time he was actually uh, getting through the Wilpena pound episode. So there you go, Cathy. He's been listening to your content. I'm sure he's listened to it uh, by the time we're reading this out and he said he camped there on a bike tour. Do you reckon you would have liked to have done a bike tour there, Kathy?
2: I would have loved to have stayed there longer. Yeah, happily on a bike, whatever it takes. But, um, you know, when you're flying, you can only do so much or you have to hire a car when you get there. But there's so much there, I'd love to go back and camp there for a while.
0: And you actually like got some good run. feedback on that episode from our friends Milford and Charlie over there in Florida. So, uh, you know, we're, you're becoming a superstar, Kathy. Yeah. <laughs> We might have to get you on the next flying down under segment, I'm thinking.
1: I think so. I think so. But hey, Kathy, here's a thought for you. Collapsible folding bicycles. Fly in. No. (laughs) You can use them again and again. I've seen guys do it. They they, (laughs) they land, they pull out this contraption that then. Expands out, and next thing you know, you've got a bike that you can ride off from the airport to the uh, to town for that hundred dollar hamburger. Because here in Australia, we don't quite have a guy with a marshalling you in and saying, "Go over there to pay for your fuel." Well, which, what you
0: could do is do what the uh, coyote does on the road, and just have one Acme instant bicycle,
2: add <laughs> water and mix. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. put a bike rack on the bonanza.
0: Well, there you go. Really? What colour would it have to be?
2: <laughs> no, actually. I did a story um, last year on a guy in Tari called Ollie Hartman, and he has a business called Australian Aircraft Kits and they're designed for bush flying and he has strong points underneath and he's got photos of his aeroplanes carrying a canoe and fencing gear and all sorts of stuff. Yeah, so you could chuck the bike in. Can be and done.
1: Put it in a pod and rig it under the wing and uh, wouldn't quite work on the Bonanza. Something about clearance. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's
2: under the belly. He has them under the belly.
1: Mm-hmm. Not of a Bonanza though.
2: No, no, no. On his own aeroplanes that he built designs.
0: Oh, Okay. Anyway, so uh, one more I just want to do here quickly. Uh, it just came in the other day, actually. Uh, it comes from uh, Peter Anderson who wrote in and uh, says he downloads the podcast each week, but we wanted to read this one out here because he's making a few points about the website, and uh, I thought I'd just... Uh, I actually said this to Peter that we'd put this out to uh, the audience just to get some uh, feedback uh, on our website. And Peter says he downloads the podcast each week, but he uh, just finds it a bit hard to navigate around the site. Wonders if we may have considered uh, changing some of the play buttons or some of the functionality on the website. So we've, we've had a couple of emails backwards and forwards with Peter and I, uh, I appreciate that uh, you know he's uh, uh, looking around uh, to try and uh, help us improve the site, and it's something that uh, we, you know, maybe we're looking at doing over Christmas. Uh, at any rate, once I get my tech department to uh, stop doing you know work with balloons. <laughs>
1: yes, sorry,
0: <laughs> but uh, you make some interesting points there. So uh, you know, one of the things that Grant and I are perhaps guilty of is that uh, we're both computer geeks, and things that perhaps uh, appear obvious to us on the website may not be as uh, as perhaps user friendly as they could be. So uh, we we certainly welcome any other uh, input on uh, what people might think about how we could improve the site Uh, for those of you that uh, do listen to the show by either downloading it direct off the site or whether you just play it straight off the site I must say that's quite a small percentage most of our downloads seem to come through the feed and predominantly from that it's iTunes but uh, we like to cater for everybody's uh, preferences that way so uh, please uh, playingcrazydownunder at gmail.com if you can let us know uh, and give us some projects to work on uh, over the uh, with the website uh, over the summer and that would be really appreciated and we thank uh, thank Peter for uh, putting that suggestion. Up to us.
1: And I agree with Peter. I also do not use iTunes um, on Windows especially. Uh, it is extreme bloatware. It is slowed down. It just seems to be getting more and more stuff that I just don't want. I actually uh, get my podcasts downloaded direct onto my tablet and uh, just run that way. It's uh, working really well for me with BeyondPod. And I'm quite happy not to be using iTunes for anything. Of course, there's lots of you out there who want to use it and go for it. I've got it running on one of my Macs, but I just find that on the Windows, it's not quite working out. And I can totally understand where Peter's coming from that.
0: And I must say too, if if you want, uh, we, you know, we're quite happy to make uh, CD copies of some of our content. If you want to send us a uh, stamp self-addressed envelope, we can uh, we can certainly organise a CD copy uh, of any of our content. We package up most of our interviews uh, separately, as well as having them in the podcast. So if you've got a bunch of favourites and you'd like me to uh, run off CD versions of those, I'm more than happy to do that too. Uh, our postal address, actually, and we've never actually put this out, but we do have a mailing address. So uh, you can you can mail us at Post Office Box 70 Cranbourne. Uh, that's in Victoria, Australia, and the postcode is three. Nine double seven, and uh, we'll put a we might put that in the show notes. Actually, too, Grant, but um, those, those details are also on our website at playingcrazydownunder.com. So uh, there's there's many ways to get uh, PCDU, and uh, one of these days we might uh, we get ourselves on community radio or something like that, Grant, and make it well even harder for people to get a hold of us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, what was that about uh, free time? I think right now I've got this bit of free time. It be, happens between about one in the morning and two thirty in the morning, and at the moment I'm
0: sleeping, but hang on, which morning was that so I can put it in my diary? I've got something for you to do. Oh, no. Okay, well, that just about brings us to the end of this uh, rather uh, packed episode. Gee, it's been a fun one. Um, just wanted to mention before we wrap it up, though, that uh, we've got an event coming up on the 17th of December out at Turidan. Uh, we're going to do this in conjunction with our friends at Oz Air Services, the Turidan Flying School. They're having their Christmas uh, 2011 fly-in out there at their Turidan Airfield, uh, YTDN, if you're looking for it on your maps. And uh, yeah, they're going to have a sausage sigil there. They're going to have 20% off for Uh, Tiger Moth and Jabberoo flights for the weekend, uh, sausage sizzle and uh, we're going to be out there with the mobile studio and uh, we're going to scare you all by letting you uh, meet us if you'd like.
1: Brave people.
0: Yep, so the intention will be uh, to uh, record uh, what will uh, be packaged up in the podcast feed as our uh, last show of the year. We may um, after we record this on the 17th drop another one in but uh, this one will be packaged up as our final show of the year. We had uh, great fun doing a live show for episode 50 which was our last show of last year. At the moment it'll be Grant, myself and Anthony Simmons will be there, Kathy may be able to come, but she's got another uh, commitment. I've got to go
2: and photograph a wedding.
0: Okay, so oh. if you get that done. Uh, <laughs> get that done in half an hour, and then come down in the cub. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony Crichton-Brown also may or may not be able to come, but uh, we'd certainly like to see all of you there. We know we have a few of our listeners uh, that, that uh, go down there and fly at that wonderful community at Turidan Flying School. I'm just constantly impressed with what they're doing down there. So Ozairservices.com.au, uh, or you can uh, have a look on our Facebook page or you can have a look uh, also uh, on our homepage for details about that and we'll put links in the show notes.
2: Can I tell you something funny about Turidan? <laughs> I was there last, last earlier this year. I did a $100 hamburger story from Turidan, and Lindy and I flew down there with a girlfriend, Jo, and we're sitting in that fabulous restaurant, you know, the seafood restaurant.
3: Yep, wings and, and fins. They've
2: got, yep, all manner, of men, uh, all manner of menus and there's the pilot's menu. So if you're a pilot, I don't know how you prove it, uh, you get a discount and there's a senior's menu as well. And I said to Lindy, well, (laughs) we've got a combined age of about 100. And and we flew in. We're both pilots. So we've got a menu in each hand.
1: (laughs) It doesn't stack, it doesn't stack.
0: Uh, There you go, so it's going to be a great day If you're going to come in, and if you're going to be flying in We have it on good authority that they won't be charging any landing fees either We actually confirmed that yesterday But uh, they'd like to know if you're coming, particularly if you're flying in So uh, you can give them a call down there on zero three five double nine eight three seven double one, Or you can send them an email, or you can send us an email and we'll pass it on But uh, we'd certainly love to see you down there I was out there yesterday with Alan, our sound guy Who's going to be setting up some speakers We are intending to live stream it as well on Ustream The, The internet connectivity down there is not not great, but uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have a real good crack at uh, doing a live show. We had a lot of fun, as I said, doing it last year. So uh, please come on down. That's Tuart and Airfield on the seventeenth of December. Okay, that's everything we have for you on this episode of Playing Crazy Down Under. Thanks very much for listening, folks. As always, we certainly hope you enjoyed it. Cathy, as always, uh, thanks for joining us.
2: No worries. Thanks for having me.
0: And thanks also to Anthony Crichton-Brown and to Peter Johnson. And thanks to all of you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode of Playing Crazy Down Under. But I tell you what, until then, just remember this. It's what's down under that counts, folks.
11: You've been listening to Playing Crazy Down
0: Under, hosted by
11: Steve Visher and Grant McCarran show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel and Grant and Steve's own blogs can be found on our website www.playingcrazydownunder.com or keep up with our Twitter handle of PCDU. Comments or feedback can be left on our website or email us at plaincrazydownunder at gmail.com. If you'd like to help with the ongoing production of the show, feel free to assist via the donate button on the website. Any contributions are most gratefully appreciated. Incidental music and sound effects are courtesy of soundsnap.com and title music is You Name It 5 by Brian Simpson. Production and editing by Steve Vischer.
2: So it's um, egg flying. Egg. F- oh. can we just edit that bit, Steve. <laughs> Get my tongue around my teeth. We can chop it. You know, we can chop it all out. <laughs> and
0: Cue Q. Interesting briefing. There we go. Make a sound effect, Grant. Quickly. No, no, don't. You got out there with your recorder and uh, have a have a listen to this, guys. <laughs> You know, you really ought to uh, set high quality on that recorder. That sounded like crap, anyway. <laughs> Very low tolerance
2: for what am I trying to say? Edit there, Steve. And she's just come back from a safety course run by the Aerial Agricultural Association of Australia, and uh, and it's in a Word document, Grant, and I've just got to find it. <laughs>
0: Q. cool interview. Yes, and I may re-record that a little bit later on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cheat.
2: Um, and how old are you get... Oh, we did that one. Oh, right. Edit yeah, yeah.
8: <laughs> And today we're going to talk to Matt Valkus. And Matt's a pilot, journalist, and author of the airport Scotting... Oh, man. I'll start that sentence again.
3: Do you see them when you're flying yeah, in?
8: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we always threaten to moon them.
3: We got enough time there. That's twenty-five minutes. We've got, we've got a lot of we've got a lot of edit that, Steve. <laughs> doing it
6: so, um, yeah. The, it's, most guys go move for,
0: for money, not, not, not
6: um,
3: anything
0: else. Unless, uh,
6: yeah. unless,
3: of
0: course, that was Joel just horsing around. <laughs> no, yeah, it's a French reliquist. Yeah, to say he's doing a
1: good job of speaking and horsing at the same time. I'm here with Jeff Morrison uh, from GT Aviation or G- GT Gyrocopters. That's right, gyroplanes, gyroplanes. Yeah,
12: you better start it again. We'll get it right.
1: Yeah, I think <laughs> we're going to have to.
4: <laughs>
2: so, Georgia, have you got any advice for anybody wanting to get in? Any pilots wanting to get into the air? In, uh... Well, start again. <laughs> Edit that, Steve.
3: Edit that, Steve.
2: <laughs> I'm in tears now. Do I have to ask all those intelligent questions again?
7: No, I might splice them in in post. All the good stuff ends up on the showroom
0: floor. Know what do you call it? Editing room floor. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, uh, ask Grant. You can never trust me.
2: Look, Any, any pilots looking at – edit that, Steve? I glass of wine.
0: But that's you not plain spoilers. They're people, sh- they're people out in the suburbs shut- generally. <laughs> <laughs> but <I> said-
2: attempted- <laughs>
0: <laughs> go go ahead, Three Cathy. Go ahead. <laughs>
2: You look gorgeous in your pink. (laughs) And, um, yeah, that's it. Thanks. Bye. Edit, Steve. Cut.